Hello and welcome to Not Just A Sports Report. Today I'm going to be jumping into my UFC Fight Night preview and predictions podcast. I'm going to be going right from the very opening prelims fight all the way to our light heavyweight main event. Now, it wasn't supposed to be the original main event, but I will get to that in a moment. So we're going to see this take place at the UFC Apex. Plenty of great fights. I always enjoy watching the Apex cards. But as of the end of March, we're going to see crowds returning. Uh, It's going to be unbelievable. We have some phenomenal cards coming up. London, Columbus, so some really great fight nights. Things are about to step up in a major way. So this is a huge card for everybody involved. I'm really keen to see how everything pans out. I know a lot of people have kind of said maybe it's not the strongest card. Maybe it isn't, but I'm still really looking forward to it. Everyone still has an equal chance to really stand up. And those who can really perform and make a great account of themselves, they are bound to be included in future big If it's not a pay-per-view, then at least big fight nights because there are going to be some massive fight nights coming up. So there's opportunities here for everyone involved to work their way up the card. It is going to be a lot of fun and I'm going to work um, work my way, my apologies, up the card myself throughout this podcast. Now, it was a great UFC fight night last time for me uh, in terms of betting and my predictions end up winning around 400 uh, and I've had I wanted like 700 on UFC 269 so I started to have some success with the methods and the format uh, but it was a mixed bag for both UFC 271 and UFC 270 so I'm really aiming to get this weekend right going into some massive cards I want to really get the ball rolling I want to have consistent form consistent value head to head I've been really decent. Uh, I can, I'll can. i go back and check my record soon. I'll include the head-to-head record. I'll have to keep track of that, so I'll have to go back. Uh, but head-to-head, I've been going decently. That's kind of what has kept me in the green in terms of the betting. Um, but, yeah, the methods of victory, I'm still taking time to work out. I'm hoping I can have some massive success this weekend. So we'll follow the progress along this weekend, and I will be doing... UFC thoughts and comments alongside JJ once again for this card. So we will sit down. Sometimes we don't get the opening couple of fights. That's early. Last couple of times I've been hungover, unfortunately. I shouldn't be this time. Um, But yeah, we don't always catch the first couple of fights. JJ takes a bit of time as well. But uh, I might even just myself start recording. But we'll see. But it should start very early. It should be in the prelims. Uh, We'll catch you up on everything that's already happened if we start a little bit late. That should be released around Monday, the UFC Thoughts and Comments podcast. And yeah, we'll go through the entire card and just kind of, it'll be shorter through the prelims. And basically before the fight, we'll have some thoughts and comments, talk a little bit about the fight and after the fight. And then of course the main event, uh, we'll do a little bit more of a detailed one. So we'll go through, we'll try to keep it quick, try to keep it fun. Uh, But it always is fun sitting down and doing the thoughts and comments podcast. But that's going to be on Sunday Australian time for this card. Uh, Today is all about my predictions for this weekend's card. So I'm not 100% sure on the exact order of fights, but I'm just going to be going by Google's lineup. So if there are any changes ahead of fight day, please don't sue me for fake news. Now we had some original fights cancelled, Ilya the Tifi. 
Alexander Romanov, a couple of others as well. But the big one, the one that was supposed to headline this card, Rafael Fazeev versus Rafael Dos Anjos. Battle of the Rafaels, it is off. Uh, Fazeev has had visa issues, so I believe this has been moved to the upcoming pay-per-view, which I guess is a bigger deal anyway, but it does leave this card, especially with the heavyweight one, Latifi and Romanov as well, uh, it does leave this card a little bit light on, but I'm a half glass full kind of person, honestly. So I look at this as a great opportunity for all these fighters who some aren't in the best spot, some are working their way there. So there are a lot of different intriguing narratives that I'll get to throughout this entire card. Uh, but there is a massive chance for everyone involved except for Chas Kelly because he is a Chas Kelly yeah I think that's how you say it uh yeah he's retiring so Chas is retiring and yeah everyone else has a really big opportunity including our main event the light heavyweight fight that is going to be a lot of fun we have Johnny Walker coming off a very disappointing decision loss display in a main event fight night against Tiago Santos so he will be looking to bounce back and Johnny Walker will be taking on Jamal Hill who destroyed Jimmy Crute and I really like Jimmy Crute he's an Australian he has a mullet like me I really like Jimmy Crute I'm a fan of Jimmy Crute I had my money on him in that fight but Jamal Hill destroyed him so Jamal Hill is a real prospect in the light heavyweight division now that Yuri Prohaska has kind of risen to become from contender to actual challenger uh there are positions in the light heavyweight division and other guys like magomed ankalaev eon katalaba there are a lot of guys who are pressing their claims alexander rakic anthony smith but this is a big one for jamal hill and johnny walker if either of them can get the knockout win which is expected but let me side note johnny walker tiago santos a knockout was expected in that one and it was a five-round decision, but I do not expect that to be the case here. Johnny Walker last time, that five rounds didn't work for him. And Jamal Hill. The only thing that worries me is that maybe he's going to try and like get that five-round experience so he won't go as hard, try to conserve his energy. But just, I feel like with what the power that both men possess and their styles, like there is bound to be a knockout in our main event, Walker versus Hill. So it's going to be a great card. We've got a good cone main event as well. But I'm going to jump into the prelims first and then I'll go through the whole main card. So if you enjoyed the podcast today, make sure to follow us on whatever podcast platform you are listening on. And also follow us on Instagram at not just a sports report. That is the best way to keep up to date with everything that is going on. So let's get this started now. UFC Fight Night. Jamal Hill, Johnny Walker, and what better place to start than the opening fight between bantamweights and exciting bantamweights at that. That is going to be what is kicking off the action inside the Apex this weekend as Mario Bautista takes on the late notice replacement opponent for Khalid Tyler, Jay Perrin. Now, this matchup was scheduled on extremely short notice after Bautista's Batista, Dave Batista, uh, original opponent in Khalid Tala withdrew from the fight. So I'd already done my preview for that fight, but I'm kind of glad that's off. No, no, I don't wish ill upon any of them. I was just having such a hard time predicting who was going to win that. 
So I guess I'm not sad that's off because that would have been a great fight. So I'm fortunate that it is off. But there is an opportunity now, as I said at the start of this podcast, there is going to be opportunities for everyone. So it's a really big card. Jay Perrin steps up. Huge opportunity. Doing this one on late notice and making his official UFC debut after Jay Perrin failed to earn a contract in his loss on Dana White's Contender Series back in 2019. Now we have seen a lot of recent Contender Series people, guys and girls, um, from the season last year. So this Jay Perrin fella, he he did it a couple of years ago, lost. He is now here again with a chance. He's got the phone call. Dana White has enjoyed his progress that he's made since the Dana White Contender Series loss. So he got the call. He is taking the fight up against Bautista. Now I'll jump in to just both men's profiles quickly. Uh, and a lot of my Fight Night predictions podcasts have been quite long. So what I'm doing is I'm trying to short shorten the format just a little bit. This should still go quite a while because there are a lot of fights. So I'm going to try and make it a little bit shorter and a little bit sweeter, but still hit all of the points that I would like to make. So I'll go through their profiles now. And for Mario Bautista, he is 28 years old, so still working his way into his physical prime. He is from Nevada, so he will be fighting in his hometown in the Apex, or at least home state. So there's going to be a lot of support for him, I would believe. It's going to be a really big occasion for him, so I expect a big lift for Bautista. Now his gym, the MMA lab, uh, I believe Kyla, Kyla Phillips and Sean O'Malley are from there. I know for sure Jared Cannonier, who had a huge win on the weekend. Uh, Jared Cannonier is from MMA Lab, so Mario Bautista rubbing shoulders with some really quality opposition. Also, I uh, had money on Cannonier to win by knockout on the weekend. That was my prediction, but I really like Bron- uh, Blonde Brunson. So, yeah, I was upset to see him get knocked out like that. It was brutal. Uh, but I think he's going to get a retirement fight. I really, really rate uh, Blonde Brunson. So good on him for making the title push. Things didn't go his way. Uh, and I'll go back to this fight now and jumping on to Jay Perrin. He is 28 years old as well. So much like Bautista, he's working his way into his physical prime. Perrin's nickname is Savage. So uh, if that gives you an indication, maybe he's going to come up with a savage performance. So we could see some real brutal shit maybe. Uh, that's just what I'm going by from the nickname. Now, Mario Bautista, he lost in his UFC debut to Corey Sandhagen, very high-level opponent. That was in January 2019, so a very hard start, but that's what's great about mixed martial arts in comparison to boxing. Boxing, they always pad their records up, and it's kind of set up in a way. In the UFC, you're instantly thrown to the wolves like immediately you're up against most of the time like so there are there are fighters for sure in the UFC that aren't that good that could definitely beat me in the fight but on a world like there are fighters and other promotions who could probably beat like some of these lower level guys but most of the time uh, like especially Dana White's ruthless like if guys don't live up to kind of where they need to be then they they get cut so Dana White is ruthless in that regard he continues to evolve the roster, uh, but yeah, a high-level opponent. That's a great example for Bautista of like a very high-level opponent. There is always great matchups in the UFC. That is one thing I've learned the most doing my podcast and delving really deep into the cards. The matchmaking 
is really sound, really, really sound a lot of the time. So that's what makes it exciting. Uh, it makes it very enjoyable and they are on point. I definitely will commend the UFC in terms of that. Maybe not fire to pay, but we'll get to that another time. So Bautista UFC debut was a submission loss to Corey Sandhagen. Then Mario went and picked up two straight wins, one of those being an emphatic knockout over Miles Johns. So Miles Johns fought maybe on the weekend. Uh, he lost as well, and I had money on him. So thanks, Miles. But he's won money for me before, and I don't hold grudges over fighters <clears throat> excuse me, who lose me money. So yeah, unlucky Miles. Now, Batista's last outing, he got his bell rung by Traven Jones at the start of round two in their meeting at UFC 259 in March last year. Traven Jones just absolutely rocked him, got him on his jaw and just, it was game over. Good night for Bautista. Trevin Jones, it was a great performance, but Mario's durability does worry me. I've been going back and forth between both of these guys. I'm really not sure how this is going to play out, so maybe decision could be a really good bet to start the day. Uh, the energy won't be super high to start, so maybe this does go to decision, but Bautista is fighting in Nevada, in his home state, and Perrin gets the late call up, a huge opportunity, the opportunity of a lifetime. Biggest fight of Perrin's life, maybe not Bautista's to this stage, but definitely Perrin's, and Bautista is fighting in Nevada, so this is going to be a really great way to start this card. I love Bautista, I like what he has to offer, uh, and yeah, I think he has a really good shot. Carly Tala would have been a harder matchup, no disrespect to Perrin because I haven't seen Perrin in a live fight. Like I haven't watched him live fighting and really got engaged. I've just seen a bit of tape. But I really like Bautista. I think this matchup suits him. But his jaw and his lack of durability when absorbing strikes does worry me a lot. And I think Perrin can capitalize on that. Jumping onto their professional records now. Mario's is eight wins, two losses. Now, Bautista's methods of victory, his, I'll start with his losses, actually. So Mario's losses in the UFC, both of them, uh, so his only two losses have been during his UFC run, which really hurts his momentum. He's had a submission loss and a knockout loss, so only two losses for Mario, but it is a worrying stat that both of his losses were in stoppage form. But Mario earned five consecutive stoppages to begin his professional career, before he signed with the UFC, or it was shortly after that that he signed with the UFC. So he does have it in him to stop the fight himself. As far as methods of victory for Mario, he has eight wins, three by knockout, three submissions, and two decisions. So Mario is well-versed for wherever this fight may take him. And speaking of that, I am really excited to see where this fight takes him. Late notice opponent, now Perrin doesn't have very much time to prepare, that puts him at a disadvantage, definitely, but Bautista was preparing for one opponent, now he has a totally different opponent, so he also has a very short preparation, he just has the advantage of having a full camp and knowing that he was going in with the full intention to fight this weekend, but Perrin, this would be a dream opportunity, so what a great fight to start this card. As for Jay Perrin, his professional record stands at nine wins and four losses. Not bad, but only one of those fights has been in the UFC. So it's not the greatest record, but for a late notice guy, 
and he was on the contender series at one point. So Dana White saw him as a contender. He has had time to go away and become better, and he has. So now his record stands at nine wins and four losses for Jay Perrin. Now his only fight under the UFC banner was Jay's contender series performance where he lost to Dwight Joseph via the judges' scorecards. Since that loss, Perrin has picked up two straight wins, keeping himself on the UFC's radar, which has paid dividends. He's now got the call-up, huge opportunity for him, as I've said a couple of times. Now, in terms of Jay Perrin's wins, he has two knockout finishes, Perrin has three submissions, so he's a really quality submission artist, and he has four decisions. So feeding into what I said earlier, maybe this is a really closely fought decision contest. If that is the case, then maybe this falls into Jay Perrin's kind of courtyard. So this is going to be a really interesting fight. Perrin's overall wins, two knockouts, three submissions, and four decisions. As for Perrin's overall losses, he's been submitted once, but his three other losses were by decision. So he's a hard man to stop is Jay Perrin. He's a lot more durable than his opponent, at least that is my perception. We will find out a little bit more about what the actual case is this weekend when they fight. Now, in 13 fights, Perrin has only been finished once. So his durability appears much more consistent than that of his opponents. I think Jay Perrin could be a real underdog value bet to start this card. So he is worth considering, but the late notice kind of deal does cruel him. If he goes really well, even in a loss, maybe he gets another opportunity. So we'll keep our eyes peeled on Jason Perrin and kind of how things go for him. And Mario Bautista, who is the favorite. Things are kind of set up for him to win, but it's never easy in a cage fight. So it's going to be a great opener, as I've said. I'm really excited. The more I dive into this, the more I get very excited. I love starting from the very first fight and going all the way through. It is so much fun. That is why I'm very keen to sit down for UFC thoughts and comments this weekend with JJ and actually watch the card unfold. Now, the stylistic matchup. It's the late notice matchup, and it should provide a fun opening contest, as I've said probably a million times. I've seen Bautista fight a couple of times, whereas I have only seen tape of Perrin fighting once, so I'm not exactly sure how this will play out stylistically. A decision could be on the cards, and probably appears the most likely option. I'm considering backing a finish here, though. It's just about working out who and how. They are bantamweights, so it's less likely to be a heavy hands kind of knockout finish, but maybe a death by a thousand cuts, kind of a lot of significant strikes. We're going to see how it plays out anyway this weekend. It's our opener, so I'm going to get through the next couple of parts because then it's going to be my official prediction for this opening fight. As I said, I want to try and make it a little bit shorter. I know it's going long. It's going pretty long already, but I'm really excited for this card. I'll try not to repeat myself too many times because that makes it a bit longer uh, but there's a lot to cover that I think if you're really keen for any of these fights and you can skip into the fights you want to actually hear about but I really want to highlight a lot of the reasons why you should be excited about this card even though on a sur on the surface maybe it doesn't look like the strongest card so what I'll do now and if you haven't listened to sorry I've got my charger scratching the thing uh, I'm just going to leave that in. Uh, if you haven't listened to one of my podcasts before, then I always check the betting market before a fight. For most of these fights, uh, and this is Australian betting, so there's no pluses and minuses. It's just 
a dollar for every whatever it is. If it's five dollar odds, then you get five dollars for every dollar you put on. So, uh, yeah, I'm going by Australian odds now. The opening fight doesn't have methods of victory, but if you haven't listened to the podcast before as well, uh, whenever the methods are ready, which they are for most of these fights, there are only a couple that don't have it ready, then I preview that as well because that is where the best odds are or where that are where the best odds are. And um, yeah, that's where the money is to be made. So that's what I'm hoping to really nail down throughout a huge year of UFC. I've had some great days, but I want them to be consistent, somewhat consistent. I'm allowed off days and kind of 50-50. I still went all right last weekend, but the fight night before I went a lot better. I need some consecutive weeks of quality form. So I'm really hoping to get it going this weekend. Now in the betting market, Mario Bautista is the clear favorite at $1.33. Perrin, as I said earlier, could be a great value option, $3.35. Could be even better value for a finish. Uh, Bautista's two losses were both stoppage losses, so Perrin at $3.35. Definitely worth looking at, especially once the method of victory odds come out. As far as my prediction for this UFC Vegas opening fight of the night, I'm going to be taking... Mario Bautista over Jay Perrin. How's he going to get it done? Maybe decision? No, I'm going to be taking a bit of a risk here. I'm taking Mario Bautista by submission. I think he's going to get the stoppage. Submission's the way I'm going to lean. I think he's going to outgrapple him in certain points of the fight. I think he can lay kind of some serious hands on him. And then all of a sudden, once an opportunity opens up, I think Bautista can get the submission finish. So it is a bit of a risk. I'm excited to see what the odds are once the method of victory odds are released, but that is going to be my prediction, my official prediction for this opener, Mario Bautista by submission. So I'm backing Mario for the opener, taking him via submission. A safe money play would be decision. A value bet could be knockout, but I'll be going with the sub. So it is now time to move on to our next fight. And we have featherweight action between Jonathan Pierce and his undefeated opponent, Christian Rodriguez, who will be making his official UFC debut after taking the fight on short notice. So two short notice fights that were supposed to be something else, but they've pulled them together. They haven't had to take them off the card. They've got two other fights now that are equally, or at least in their own regard, very intriguing. So Christian Rodriguez, much like Jay Perrin in our opening fight, Rodriguez is going to step up making his official UFC debut after taking the fight on short notice and after being on Dana White's Contender Series but not getting a contract. So a bit of a running theme in our opening two fights. That's kind of the position they're in. It's time to work your way from the bottom of the card and try to get yourself all the way to the top. So another short notice situation here. It's always tricky to pick how they will go when it's short notice. Uh, but it's time to jump into it. So I'll start with the narrative and we have two Dana White's Contender Series alumni locking horns at 145 pounds. As Jonathan Pierce battles the UFC debutante in Christian Rodriguez. Jonathan Pierce is a graduate of the 29th season of Dana White's Contender Series and he has been thriving as of late since dropping down to featherweight. Pierce scored an impressive second round finish over Kai Kamaka III in Pierce's return to featherweight before he went and submitted Omar Morales, sorry, <laughs> butchered that, 
He submitted Omar Morales, which is a pretty decent level of opponent, uh, in Pierce's return to action last year. JSP heads into Vegas this weekend in search of his third straight win. Now, a victory for JSP in this fight is sure to catapult Pierce into a higher profile matchup in his next bout. JSP can't get too ahead of himself though because he has to beat Christian Rodriguez first, which may prove difficult. As for Christian Rodriguez, he was unsuccessful in his quest to earn a contract on Dana White's Contender Series last year. Rodriguez defeated Junior Cortez, the brother of current UFC star Tracy Cortez. Sorry, it sounded a bit like I said the C word there. Current. Uh, whoops. After Rodriguez's fight, uh, Dana White did not give him a contract, so Christian responded by going out and responding in big fashion, dominating a fight outside of the UFC, one in very impressive fashion to regain Dana White's attention. Christian has got the call to step in for Austin Lingo, and you can bet that Rodriguez will leave no stone unturned to give Dana White no choice but to sign C-Rod to the UFC. Both prospects have a lot of potential in this division, so this will be a great read as to where both men are at in this point in their careers. It is a late notice fight, so that does come into play. We won't get the full 100% read, but we'll get a pretty fair idea on where both guys are at. So I'll jump to the profiles now, starting with Christian Rodriguez, who of course didn't get the contract on the most recent season of Dana White's Contender Series. His nickname is C-Rod, C for Christian, Rod for Rodriguez, duh. Uh, he's only 24 years old, so he's still very, very young, and he is representing Rufusport MMA Academy. As for Jonathan Pierce, his nickname is JSP, love that. He's 29 year old, or 29 years old, sorry, can't speak English. Uh, so a little bit older, a little bit more experience, and definitely higher level in opponents. JSP is from Tennessee. That kind of rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Uh, and Pierce represents Fight Ready MMA and Fitness. I'll jump on to their last fights now. Rodriguez's last fight was a round one submission over Ryan McIntosh at NAFC Super Brawl. That was coming off his uh, loss on the Contender Series. Now... His opponent, this must be noted, Christian Rodriguez's opponent that he submitted in the first round, Ryan McIntosh at NF, uh, NAFC Super Brawl. Uh, this is what Ryan is so far really about. Now, Ryan McIntosh's streak heading into that fight was 11 losses in his last 12 fights. So Rodriguez responded to Contender Series, but against a guy who had 11 losses in his last 12 fights, an overall record for Ryan McIntosh of 16 wins and 37 losses. So I shouldn't, I'm not laughing. That was like a very one millisecond giggle, but 16 and 37. Hey, my record would be 37 and oh, no, other way around. Oh, and 37, not 37 and oh, fuck me. Uh, imagine, uh, but yeah, mine would be oh, and 37. So like, I'm not knocking the guy, but like, Rodriguez beat a guy with an overall record of 16 and 37, 11 losses in his last 12 fights. So do with that information what you will. Uh, now, Rodriguez won that fight over McIntosh by submission. Now, Ryan McIntosh, in his 37 losses, has 25 submission losses, including that one. So, yeah, that is Rodriguez's last fight. You don't often get some fun shit like that. Sometimes it's the earlier... 
in their career, but I love when that's their last fight. What a preparation <laughs> to head into the apex. Get Ryan McIntosh in the apex. I feel like at very least it would be value. Like he'd probably lose by submission in the first round. But whoever beats him, it'd be like, ooh, boom. But yeah, the record, it makes it less impressive when your record's 16. And 30 seconds, 30 seconds? Oh, fuck, I don't know. That's probably, uh, that's probably means it's time to move on from Ryan McIntosh, yeah? Uh, now, Christian Rodriguez is undefeated in seven fights. So currently riding a seven-fight win streak, and he will be looking for his eighth straight as he takes this short-notice fight in Vegas this weekend. As for Jonathan Pierce's last fight, kind of the theme between these guys, Pierce's the whole way through had a higher level of competition. Now, Pierce's last fight, JSP got the round two submission win over Omar Morales. Now, I'll take a look at their professional records, and then I'll jump into the betting market shortly after that. And then I'll make my official prediction for this featherweight fight. Uh, it has been listed in some places as maybe the uh, featured prelim, but where I have it, I'm going by Google. That has it in second. Google is usually quite reliable unless they make a change to the card. But I have this. if this is a second fight, this is a great second fight to really continue the momentum of the first fight. Now, Jonathan Rod Pierce, sorry, Jonathan Rodriguez, has a great chance to get a win here, be the first person to defeat Christian Rodriguez. Now, Christian has seven wins, zero losses. Now, from Rodriguez's wins, C-Rod has three knockout finishes, three submissions, and one decision. So there is a very good value bet here in Christian Rodriguez to get the finish over Pierce. I absolutely think it's possible. So if you love an underdog value bet, I think Rodriguez may be a better opportunity than... Jay Perrin in the opener. So very strongly consider Christian Rodriguez because I know for sure that I am right now. And if I go that way, I am definitely taking Rodriguez by stoppage. I think Pierce is absolutely stoppable. So uh, he, he's a better man with higher level of opposition. But if someone's going to pull the underdog value bet out, I think Christian Rodriguez could very well do it with either a knockout or a submission. To Jonathan Pierce's professional record now which stands at 11 wins and four losses now a key stat for jsp jonathan pierce jsp's wins predominantly by knockout eight of 11 wins by knockout i do consider jonathan pierce a knockout artist christian rodriguez has not been beaten before but we only have to cast our minds back to christian rodriguez most recent fight to see that JSP is on a totally different level to anyone that Rodriguez has come up against before. Uh, and it's all about what Rodriguez has to offer. That's the intriguing kind of plot because we really don't know. And Pierce doesn't fully know. So should be a great fight. Eight of 11 wins by knockout for Pierce. He also has two submission finishes. One of his submission finishes was in his most recent fight against Omar Morales. And JSP has one decision, so this one surely going to a stoppage. There is a chance that it's too closely matched. Maybe JSP wins by decision. That's how he beats the so far undefeated Christian Rodriguez. But both guys are stoppage specialists. And JSP in particular is a knockout specialist, so I really think they're going to exchange on the feet. Then I do think we're going to see some grappling come into play. I think this fight is going to have a bit of everything. It should be a really entertaining clash. It is an exciting stylistic matchup between two fighters 
They specialize in stoppage finishes. What's not to love about that? So I'm going to hit the betting market now and then I will make my official prediction for this featherweight fight. Onto the betting market now and uh, the methods of victory from this fight on are here. So that is the real fun part that I enjoy about the betting market. If you do bet, bet responsibly. It can be addictive. Uh, be careful. Be careful. I try to be. Uh, but yeah, I don't endorse betting. Like, don't feel like you have to. This is mainly just about being excited to actually watch the fights. But there is a betting aspect. Uh, so we'll check the markets now. Head-to-head, Jonathan Pierce. We've got two heavy favorites in the opener. Uh, both of the underdogs have taken their fights on short notice. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily count you out. Victor Henry was a guy who made his short notice fight work. Uh, so yeah, this is going to be a great fight. I believe the Victor Henry one was short notice. Now, Jonathan Pierce, $1.26. So head-to-head, not a lot of value. But if you're really confident in his ability, then you could parlay that into some multis and it could boost some things up. Now, in terms of Rodriguez, he is $3.70. So a lot of value there, as I said, especially if you can pick the uh, method of victory. So I'll look through those for Rodriguez. In terms of value picks, Rodriguez submission win, $13. That's an interesting one. Probably not likely. Uh, Christian Rodriguez by knockout, $7.50. Very juicy odds. $8.50 by decision. That's pretty awesome odds as well. Uh, So I think the best one there is Rodriguez by knockout. I think Pierce definitely could be susceptible to a knockout. So $7.50 or just $3.70 actually head-to-head on Rodriguez is a really sound option for a value bet. Now for the major favorite, Jonathan Pierce, $1.26 head-to-head. To win by knockout, his specialty, 8 of 11 career wins by knockout, $2.35. So that is a really, really good option. That is the safe option and a moneymaker. If you chuck a million dollars on that, that's over $2 million, uh, which is what I'm going to do. Quote me. I don't endorse betting, you know. Uh, I'm just joking, obviously. But $2.35, really good odds for the favorite, the clear favorite to win by the way he's won pretty much every fight he's been in so there you go Uh, if this is a much closer one because Rodriguez has never been finished he's never even been defeated then decision for Jonathan Pierce is $3.80 another good one but I like knockout a little bit more I still think $2.35 is enough of a quality price to back that one in and the real value bet in this whole scenario Jonathan Pierce by submission at $6 now I took a submission in the first fight And in this featherweight, second fight of the night, Fight Night Vegas, Jonathan Pierce, Christian Rodriguez, I am taking Jonathan Pierce to be the first man to defeat Christian Rodriguez, and I am going the value route. I did it in the first. I went a submission, trying to... Who knows? Who knows what could happen? But I want to get this card rolling. Momentum is really important, especially... Betting's not the biggest aspect of it, but... From a betting perspective, you want to start strong. You want to get a bit of a roll on. So I'm really backing Bautista in to get the submission finish. And I'm going to be backing Jonathan Pierce in to do the same in this featherweight fight. My official prediction, JSP, Jonathan Pierce by submission at $6. I am taking that as the official value bet. And for my prediction for the podcast, Jonathan Pierce by submission giving Christian Rodriguez the first loss of his career. 
could definitely go to decision. And it's another risk because I majorly had to resist the urge to back Pierce by knockout. That is the most likely. If you're considering your options, Pierce by knockout is the most likely, but I'm taking the value pick, Pierce by submission. So let's move on now to our next fight, featuring someone from Contender Series last year who did get a contract in Chad and Halliger, the Canadian making his debut against Jesse Strader. So as we drift on up this card, next we will be treated to some really fun bantamweight action. As I said, we've got the Dana White's Contender Series graduate, Chad and Halliger, and Jesse Strader looking to bounce back from a very disappointing UFC debut. So the narrative in this one, you have the 35-year-old Canadian and Halliger, and he's going to be making his much-anticipated UFC debut after yearning a UFC contract in his split decision victory over Moon Gafurov. Uh, so yeah, I think I said uh, yearning, yearning a UFC contract. So the, this is unfiltered. Uh, it's a little bit unfiltered. My apologies. Now the victory on Contender Series extended Chad's winning streak to nine straight. So he is on an absolute roll. Although I do remember Joe Anderson Brito who went up against Bill Algio, uh, and he was on like I think a, a longer streak, and he got the contract, and he ended up losing. So. But, I mean, I'm not discrediting. Chad and Halliger, they are different people. So Chad and Halliger, let me restate that, a nine-fight winning streak. The monster and Halliger was a dual division champion in Rise FC, which is a Canadian or British Columbian promotion. Chad was their guy. He possessed both the flyweight and the bantamweight titles. Now, one of Chad's notable wins was a stoppage victory, over the return of the Ultimate Fighter finalist Brady Highstand, who lost to Ricky Tercios in the finale or in the final. Now, a win in the Apex this weekend would mean that Chad would have 10 consecutive victories under his belt. Now, that would be one hell of a way for Anhaliga to officially enter the promotion after his gritty but impressive contender series showing. It would give Chad a great opportunity to seek a bigger name opponent this year, and if Enhelga can win, he is going to give himself an opportunity to get another one or two fights out this year because he is 35 years old, time is of the F uh, essence, and a contender series guy who kind of embodies that was Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, Chitty in Jokowani, uh, who came out and got like an 18 second finish or 16 second finish. Unbelievable. He knew that he, he couldn't waste any time. I think Anhelica is going to be in a similar kind of mindset going into the fight this weekend. It would be one hell of a way for Anhelica to enter the promotion. As I said, a great opportunity for a bigger opponent. And yeah, more fights to quickly summarize what I said. So to get as many fights, higher level of activity, which is really important if you're trying to build a run toward the rankings. One of the storylines here is that it could be a standout year for the Canadian Chad and Halliger. The bantamweight division is arguably the most stacked in the world and Chad now has a platform to showcase his skills and enter the conversation for a future spot in the top 15. As for Jesse Strader, he's looking to bounce back from his devastating round one knockout loss at the hands of Montel Jackson. That was actually the second time that the two had fought with Strader owning a TKO victory over Jackson outside of the UFC. However, the two of them had a fight on the biggest stage in MMA in the UFC and that eventuated totally differently. Montel Jackson knocked out Jesse Strader way too easily 
And the crucial test for Jesse this weekend will be Chad and Halliger, a man whose preferred method of victory is the knockout stoppage. And Halliger also has a massive experience advantage over Strader in terms of mixed martial arts. Strader was scheduled to face Mana Martinez last August, but their bout was cancelled. That would have been an interesting one. We of course saw Mana Martinez up against Ronnie Lawrence last weekend on the pay-per-view in Houston. I had my money on Ronnie Lawrence by decision. He was one of the few that really got my method of victory and head-to-head right. Uh, So thank you very much, Ronnie Lawrence. That was in Mana Martinez's hometown. I also got Adesanya over Whitaker by decision. So I've been pretty good at getting the big ones right. I had Oliveira over Poirier by submission. I had uh, Strickland over Hermanson by decision. So we're we're getting there. Stay, stay, stay with me, basically. Jesse badly needs to gather some steam in his UFC run. And win here is exactly what would help Strader gain that confidence and traction in his career. This should be a high-paced fight, and I'm expecting fireworks from the start of the fight all the way up to the end. I'm thinking there's going to be a stoppage somewhere in this one, but decisions do take place frequently in the apex, and you can never count out a decision fight going down in the UFC. That always has to be considered as an option. Checking out both men's profiles now, we have Jesse Strader, 30 years old, representing Lancaster, California, and his gym is Chemo's Fight Factory. Strader's professional record is still very early in its career, five wins and two losses. Now Strader's losses, he had the round one knockout loss to Montel Jackson in his UFC debut, and he also, outside of the UFC, Jesse Strader had a round one knockout loss over Marcelo Rocha, who appeared up against Kyla Phillips this past weekend on the pay-per-view in Houston UFC 271. So it's funny how a lot of these things, a lot of these guys in these fights and these narratives all intertwine. That's why MMA math is such a thing. They all do intertwine really well. As for Jesse Strader's wins, Strader has four knockout victories. So just like Anne Halliger, Strader's preferred method of victory is the knockout, which if you didn't know much about these guys, isn't that a great reason to get excited about this fight? It's in the apex, but I think it's smaller. Is it bigger or is it smaller? I think it may be a smaller octagon. So push these guys together. We're going to see some punches thrown. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. So straight as victories, four knockout wins, one decision as well. Looking at his experienced opponent, Chad Ann Helliker, nicknamed the Monster. He is 35 years old. Now is his time to make his run. His hometown is Alberta, Canada. And he is representing Champions Creed MMA. MMA. MMA? <laughs> there you go. Unfiltered. I'm going to leave that bit in. Some of it I'm just... I like to keep it rolling where I can. So forgive me for some of this shit. Uh, but I am moving into a new place in the next couple of months that has a much better setup for me. Better chair. Better everything. Uh, just to get the product and everything. The content will be significantly better. So I hope you're somewhat at least enjoying this uh, because it's going to get better. If you are enjoying this, I can promise you one thing. It's going to get even better. uh, And yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. So thank you for sticking with me. Now, Chad and Halliger's professional record, 11 wins and 5 losses. Here is a very interesting stat for Chad and Halliger. All five of the Canadians' losses have been by submission, that is a very worrying stat, but uh, 
Jesse Strader has never won by submission, so that is one interesting one. That's what leads me to believe there are going to be fireworks. This is going to be a bang fest. I can't wait to watch these two guys bang. Yeah, it's going to be awesome uh, when someone asks, yeah, what to, oh, sorry, that was a bit loud. Uh, when someone asks, yeah, what are your plans for the weekend? I'm like, you know, let's get these guys and I'm going to watch them bang and it's going to be fucking awesome. So Chad and Helica, 11 and 5, all five losses by submission. As for Anne Helica's wins, six knockout victories, three submissions and two decisions. So most of his wins, like Strader, are by knockout. Chad with six knockouts and Strader has never had a submission win, but Chad has with three submissions. Now, as far as the stylistic matchup, it's going to be a strike fest. We are bound to see a knockout. So I am really keen to sit down and watch this one. And now I'm going to jump into the betting market for this fight, which we have methods of victory. So that's really good. Chad and Helliger is the favorite head to head at $1.44. Jesse Strader, there's a bit of value there at $2.85. Now, Angelica to win by knockout, $2.50. Again, much like the fight before this, that is a really nice price tag. I like that $2.50 price tag for Angelica by knockout. For Angelica by submission, which is another great value bet option. Will I go three submission victories in a row for a performer? That would be very interesting. Uh, or Angelica by decision, $4, which still definitely money to be made there. Strader to win by decision, $6.50. Strader to win by submission, $23. And Strader to win by knockout, $6.50. That is a value bet. If you're an underdog, if you like chasing the roughie, chuck some money on Jesse Strader to win by knockout at $6.50. As for the way I'm going in this bantamweight fight as we move along in the card now, I've got Chad and Helliger over Jesse Strader. Have I taken him by submission? No, I haven't. I'm taking Chad Angeliger by knockout. I think this is going to be a fun one. I think Angeliger is going to have a statement victory knockout. I'm backing him in all the way here. So I'm going to be taking Chad Angeliger at $2.50 to win by knockout. And my official prediction in this bantamweight fight for this podcast, I am taking Chad Angeliger over Jesse Strader by knockout. So that is it for that one. It's time to move on to some women's action now. And there's not a lot of it on this card. So I'm excited to see what these girls do. They've been given a good uh, position, a good platform. It's not a stacked card. So they have an opportunity to stand out here. Up next is a woman's strawweight fight that does intrigue me, given that both women are still relatively young. And it is fair to say their best years are still ahead of them. What they have to offer in their best years remains to be seen. And that's something that does leave a few question marks. They haven't shown a whole ton so far. And they've both can be largely considered unproven prospects at this stage. After this weekend, we'll have a much better indication of where these women stand in the division as Romania's Diana Belbida takes on Gloria Del Paola. The 115-pound fighters could be long-term prospects of the division, so that's what intrigues me about this fight. I'm keen to see who stands up and takes the win and really tries to push on, stay active, maybe get another couple of wins this year and enter the conversation for a spot in the rankings. There are so many fights in terms of my podcast where I'm 50-50 and very indecisive 
with my final prediction. This one's a bit different though. I have a clear idea of who I think the standout will be in this fight. The only aspect that is troubling me, as it seems to always, is the method of victory. 25 year old Diana Balbita dropped down to the strawweight division in her last outing, defeating Hannah Goldie in what was quite a great spectacle. Hannah Goldie is decent, so that was actually a really commendable win for Diana. Balbita did have a poor loss though that kind of evens that out to the Georgian Liana Jojua. Now that was a different division and that also came before Diana's statement win against Hannah Goldie. As for Brazil's Gloria de Paula, she looked like a star in the making after her appearance on season four of Dana White's Contender Series, earning herself a UFC contract in the process. Since that victory, Gloria has fallen off a cliff, firstly losing to Jing Yu Frey in March, followed up by a first minute knockout loss to Cheyenne Vilmas in July last year. Now the size advantage is going to be in Diana's favour, so I think Gloria Del Paola could be in serious trouble here. These fights, the level they're at, it's really hard to tell. These ones can always be the really tricky ones to bet on. I get burnt a lot on these ones, but the size advantage is in Diana's favour. She's the one I'm favouring in this fight as well. So looking at her profile, Diana Belbita, nicknamed the Warrior Princess, only 25 years old, so she's still improving, she's still learning. That's why she is a very exciting prospect, and this is a great chance for her to showcase her ability. Belbita is from Romania, uh, and she is fighting out of Ontario, Canada. Her gym is the House of Champions MMA. As for Belbita's pro record, it stands at 14 wins and 6 losses, definitely better than her opponents for this weekend. 14 wins, 6 losses for Diana Belbita. Uh, as for how Belbita has got those wins, Six knockout wins, so very quality in such a division like the strawweight. Uh, strawweights to be in such a lighter division, not heavy hands. Six knockouts, that is impressive. Four submissions and four decisions for Diana. As for Belbita's losses, she's been submitted four times, so that is a bit of a worry if you're going to be going for her in this fight. And Diana has also lost twice by decision. As for Gloria Del Paola now, she is a 26-year-old, so very close in age. Much like her opponent, has a great chance to push on, learn more, gain experience, and become a fixture in the division. She is representing Sao Paulo, Brazil, much like the great champion Charles Oliveira. And Gloria's professional record stands at five wins and four losses. So a very average uh, record, nine fights, five wins, four losses. Gloria's wins have included three knockouts, so both women's majority of wins have come by way of knockout. That is very exciting. Uh, and Gloria has also had two decision wins. As for De Paola's losses, she's lost three times by decision. She has only been knocked out once, so Diana Belbita has never been knocked out, and uh, Gloria De Paola has only been knocked out once. So that is an interesting start that does make this stylistically a very intriguing contest. Now I'm going to have a look at the betting market as I do now you know by now most likely and then I'm going to make my official prediction for this fight and then I'm going to move on. I'm going to get through the prelims. I know we've nearly been through an hour so I'm going to zoom through the prelims as fast as I can while still giving you all the information I feel like is important to get across to really hype up these fights and get you excited for what is to come. Uh, so I'm going to wrap up after this but I'm going to go 
betting market and I'm going to go prediction and then I'm going to move on to our next fight fairly quickly. Let's get through these prelims because there are some fun main card fights to get into too. I don't want this play, uh, podcast to go too long, but hopefully you've been, if you've listening to this point, then you're enjoying it. Uh, it's going to get better as it goes along. So yeah, hopefully it won't be too long, but I'm going to zoom on now. I've already taken up fucking an hour just talking here. So let's look at the betting market now. Uh, I'll just quickly pull that up. Diana Belbita is the favorite just at $1.83. The betting market reflects what I was saying where you really just don't know. Uh, they don't have methods of victory. Okay, I guess that'll make this one go a bit quicker then. Uh, so they don't have that up yet. Knockout would definitely be a value bet for both women. Now Belbita is the favorite at $1.83. But De Perla is not fine, uh, far behind at $1.98. So $1.83 for Diana, $1.98 for Gloria. Very close fight. If you go by their professional records, then Belbita looks like the most likely safe pick. As for my prediction, maybe it's by knockout too. But my prediction for the strawweight fight, the first female fight of this card, I am taking the Romanian Diana Belbita by decision. So I'll repeat that once more, my official prediction for the podcast, and then we're going to move straight on to our next fight. So I'm taking Diana Belbita over her opponent in Gloria de Paula Belbita to get the win via decision. So that's it for the female fight. Let's move on now to a really interesting fight that has quite a different storyline to the other fights I've talked about so far. So let's jump in to Chaz Skelly and Mark Striegel. The next prelim fight featuring the featherweight action between the guys I just mentioned, two fighters who have been stuck on the sidelines and thus haven't had a high level of activity in the last few years. On one side, you have Chaz Skelly, who has announced that he will be calling it a day and retiring after this fight, win, lose, or draw. His opponent this weekend will be Mark Striegel, who will be returning to action after missing all of last year. Only seven days removed from Roxanne Modiferi's final fight, and we are going to see another retirement bout. Before Chaz retires, he has one last mission though, and that is to defeat Mark Striegel. Unfortunately for Chaz Skelly, he has had an unbelievably unfortunate run with injuries. He was a top 15 competitor all the way through, uh, and the injuries just hampered his UFC run. So Chaz has decided that this fight will be his last, but... Mark's debut couldn't have gone much worse, so his opponent is going to be looking for a huge bounce back. Striegel, of course, lost his debut in 2020. He was stopped by Saeed Namagomedov in the first minute, very emphatically. So Mark Striegel losing his UFC debut. Uh, and another guy who lost to Saeed Namagomedov very recently was Cody Starman uh, in the first minute, I believe he got knocked out. No, he got submitted. That was my value pick, but I picked Namagomedov. My official prediction was Namagomedov by decision, but my value pick was by submission. And Cody Starman, I loved, he came out to staying alive, like, uh, 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 staying alive. And it was just so funny, just what happened. But it was like, uh, what's it called? Self-aware. Like it was, it wasn't, I'm not laughing at him. I was like laughing with him. In a way. So moving on now though, Cody Starman isn't on this card. This fight is about the retiring Chaz Skelly and Mark Striegel. After losing in his promotional debut, Mark missed the entirety of 2021. 
Now he's dropping down to 145 pounds and aiming to retire Chaz Skelly in style. In Mark's mind, Chaz is retiring. Skelly would be a huge scalp for Mark to get his UFC run going and Chaz has nothing to gain by winning other than the sentimental moment of a retirement victory. But Mark Striegel isn't done yet. He's only just begun. Mark was forced to spend his 2021 on the sidelines and this weekend shapes as the biggest fight of his career. The result of this bout will have a huge bearing on the trajectory of Striegel's career. This fight intrigues me as we don't have too much to go on as far as recent form goes. This fight could play out in a number of ways and the retirement narrative has been intertwined into this clash. Both men are submission artists. Now Skelly has the advantage in the wrestling department for sure. It just depends. He has had a really torrid run with injuries. So how is his body holding up? For both guys, that is definitely a question mark, which makes this a really tricky one to kind of work out who's going to win. It could really go either way. This is a definite 50-50 clash. But I'm going to back Skelly to have the advantage in the wrestling. And I'm also going to back him to have the superior submission attack and defense. So Chaz Skelly is the favorite for a reason. I think he's going to go quite well in his final fight. And will Chaz Skelly retire on a high note? Or is Striegel going to spoil the party and move forward with momentum? Now for the profiles, we have Chaz Skelly, the retiring fighter first. 23rd and final fight of his career. And Skelly's professional record is 18 wins, 3 losses, and 1 no contest. A very healthy record, and it's been such a shame for Chaz to have had so many injury setbacks. Skelly was a top 15 fighter, and he could have been anything if things have gone his way. Sorry, butchering my English to hell at the moment. Best of luck to Skelly in retirement. Best of luck to me in the English language. Now, for Skelly's stats, he has 18 wins, 3 losses, 1 no contest. From Skelly's 18 wins, he has 3 knockouts, 5 decisions, but the key stat here, Chaz Skelly has 10 submission wins, 0 submission losses. So, in over 20 fights, has yet to be submitted, and he has submitted 10 of his opponents. So, he is a submission artist. How is his body holding up? He's decided to retire. So does he have one last great fight in him? I think he does. I think he's calling it. He's decided he can get back in the cage one last time. As for Skelly's losses, he's lost twice by decision, once by knockout. So the only man to ever earn a stoppage victory over Skelly is Jason Knight via third round TKO at UFC 211 in 2017. Over to Mark Striegel now. He is 33 years old. Heritage is Filipino, and he is representing the Borneo Tribal Squad. Striegel has defeated Kaikara France in the past at Bantamweight that was in 2014 in Malaysia outside of the UFC. As for the size advantage, it is a decent size advantage for Skelly. He should be able to use that to his, like, uh, I guess advantage, I'll say that again, in his quest to retire with one last impressive victory. Chaz Skelly's last fight was in September 2019, so before the pandemic kind of COVID era, if you will. Now, he scored a unanimous decision win over Jordan Griffin. He looked like an absolute prospect, Chaz Skelly, but things just haven't gone his way. Here he is for one final fight.
As for Mark Striegel, his professional record stands at 18 wins, 3 losses and 1 no contest. Striegel's last fight was in October 2020. He lost to Saeed Nurmagomedov, finished in the first minute. And here's a rogue stat. I told you that both men's last outing was, you know, a win and a loss. But the outing before that for both of them, both men participated in fights that ended in a no contest. So... That's an interesting one. Could we see a no contest here? Who knows? So yeah, the fight before, so both guys' last fight, 2024 Striegel, 2019 for Chaz Skelly, and the fight before that for them, both no contests. Both men also have the exact same professional record. How is this for matchmaking? The methods of victory and losses are different, but they have the exact same professional record. 18 wins, 3 losses, and 1 no contest. Okay, now for Mark Striegel's methods of victory. Uh, his key stat for Striegel is he has 14 of 18 wins by submission. So, two absolute submission artists, but Chaz Skelly has never been submitted in his career. Will this be the first time? 14 of 18 wins by submission. If Striegel... Can get the submission win here over Chaz Skelly. I predict that'll get him a performance of the night bonus check. Just for retiring Chaz Skelly in such impressive fashion. Now, Striegel has never won by a knockout. Uh, 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 that's my reaction to that. I do love a knockout. Uh, now, Striegel has 14 submissions and... Four decision victories so that is his methods of victory as far as the stylistic matchup this is a submission battle could definitely go to decision because they are very closely matched as you can tell by their professional records but I'm going to back one of these fighters in and I don't know if it's going to be by decision it has been tough deciding who to back though I'm going to take a look at the betting market and then I am going to tell you exactly who I am backing here. Alright, head to head, Chaz Skelly is the favourite in his retirement fight up against Mark Striegel. Striegel is a great value underdog at $2.65. Hasn't fought since 2020 though. First minute knockout loss against Saeed Nurmagomedov, or it might have been submission, I know it was a stoppage. Uh, that was back in 2020 as well, so Striegel missed all of last year. He is an unknown quantity. Same goes for Chaz Skelly. He is calling it a day. He is retiring, which definitely comes into play when trying to make a decision. It is risky always picking the uh, retiring fighter because although they're fighting for pride and to celebrate their career, like they don't have that same drive as someone who's still, you know, in the grind, wanting to fight more and, yeah, work their way up the ladder. So Chaz Skelly, head-to-head favourite, $1.46. Mark Striegel, $2.65. For Chaz Skelly to win by decision, could be a good value bet, $3.25. To win by submission, Chaz Skelly, $3.10. Submission, of course, is the way that Chaz Skelly has predominantly won his fights over his career. And to win by knockout, a great value bet here, Chaz Skelly by knockout, $8. Now, Mark Striegel, to win by decision, $5.00. Great value bet there. To win by knockout, $10. He's never won by knockout, so probably wouldn't go there. And for Mark Striegel, most of his wins also have been by submission, but Chaz Skelly has never been submitted. So Striegel by submission, $7. 
If you think Striegel's going to get it done, then I would go points. Uh, decision win at $5, and I'd go head-to-head -head at $2.65. As far as which way I'm going, I'm going to be taking Chaz Scally to get one last win in his career, and a stoppage one. I think he's going to get the submission. I'm not super confident, but I've picked a couple of submissions across this card, so they are hard to pick, but I'm going to back another one in here. For my official prediction for this podcast, I am taking Chaz Skelly by submission at $3.10. Uh, that's my official prediction for this uh, featherweight fight. Which leaves us with two final fights in this preliminary section before I move on to the main card. Uh, but just shortly wrapping up the Chaz Skelly by submission over Mark Striegel prediction. There is always danger of choosing a retire, uh, retiring fighter. There is the retirement theory. We saw Gian Vellante get knocked out by Chris Barnett in his final fight. We saw Roxanne Modafferi get beaten by Casey O'Neill just last weekend in her final fight. So I'm going to move on now, but there is always a danger of backing a retiring fighter. So do look into it because Mark Striegel does have some value. Now I'm going to move on to a fight I'm very excited for. We have Jessica Clark or Jessica Rose Clark, sorry, up against Stephanie Egger. Two veteran female fighters collide as Australia's Jessica Rose Clark takes on Stephanie Egger. So nice, I said it twice. Sorry, honestly, if you're still listening to this point, yeah, sorry. Uh, for some of the muck-ups, I smoked a joint, but if you're still listening to this point, I feel like I can be honest about that. Okay, let's get, let's move on. Let, let me, let, let me get pumped up about this card, which I already am, but let me try and translate that a little bit more instead of fucking up. Now, the women's bantamweight division is starting to heat up in a major way with more attention on the division than ever. Both of these fighters have experience behind them, and the winner is sure to receive a step up on the next card that they appear on. A quick win means that they can back up, hopefully get on a big card sooner rather than later. Both women have momentum on their side, but only one can continue to roll forward. This should be a closely fought battle, and I expect this to be a highly competitive matchup stylistically. Jessica Rose returned from an ACL injury in October last year, with new and improved wrestling skills on display, as the Queenslander scored a grinding decision win over Jocelyn Edwards. That extended Clark's streak to two straight victories, and she will be seeking her third straight here in the biggest fight of her career. Jessica's first win in this streak was a third round stoppage finish against Sarah Alpar. After that win, Jess was out for an extended period recovering from her ACL injury. A win this weekend will see the Cairns native enter the conversation for a spot inside the top 15. The Aussie is a hugely popular talent, and if she can continue winning, then she could find herself on the biggest Australian card in UFC history. Now, I know they're not doing one yet, but as soon as the country opens up, Surely they're going to do a massive Australian card. There are so many Austra uh, Australasian, like Trans-Tasman, Kiwi, and Aussie fighters. They're definitely going to do a big card. So this could be like, you know, a bit of a smoky. Jessica Rose Clark could be on that card. If she can continue winning, then she could be in a really high-profile matchup in a big stadium. Who knows? Let's not get too ahead of ourselves, but there are definite possibilities for the winners here. That's why I don't think... This is such a bland card. I think there's still a lot at stake throughout all of the matchups on this card. 
I mean, we look at some fun fight nights coming up. The London card is fire. Tom Aspinall and Alexander Volkov in the main event. We've got Paddy Pimblett. There are so many. I can't go through them all because there's so many great fights on that card. And of course, as I was saying, so many great Australian and Kiwi fighters. So Marvel Stadium, make it happen. I will be there. They need to make it happen. It will be so fucking good. It will be one of the greater cards of all time, no doubt. And I think it would be the biggest card in Australian UFC history. Now, if Jessica Rose Clark keeps winning, as I said, she could find herself in the mix for what is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. As for Stephanie Egger, the 33-year-old lost her UFC debut to Tracy Cortez by unanimous decision. Egger gave a much better account of herself in her sophomore appearance, however, obtaining a second-round finish over Shanna Young. Both women have plenty of confidence going into this fight, and in my opinion, this is one of the more underrated fights on a card that doesn't look highly promising on paper, but don't sleep on this card. I am definitely willing to give it a go. Let's wait until the fights have happened and then judge the card. I know it's not the strongest on paper, but there could be some great fights and some great moments and some ones to watch throughout this card. So there's a lot to get excited about. Not to mention the fact that Juliana Pena won the title in unbelievable circumstances, one of the greatest moments in UFC history, the greatest moment in UFC women's history, but there have some been some great ones, Nunes and Cyborg was one. But Julia, Juliana, sorry, Pena is the new champion. She is determined. Nunes is still hanging around at 145-2. It has reignited the division. Ultimate Fighter as well coming up with Pena and Nunes as the coaches. So that is going to be a lot of fun. More buzz than ever surrounding the division. And it is time for these 135ers. Sorry, I said 145ers before. 135ers, sorry, Bantamweights to show the world what they can do. Uh, now, uh, Nunez fights at Featherweight, but both of the women, Stephanie Egger and Jessica Rose Clark, are fighting at Bantamweight. Now, the winner will definitely receive a step up in competition. On one side, we have Jessica Rose Clark, nicknamed Jessie Jess, 34 years old, and she is from Cairns, Queensland, Australia. Her team is the Combat Sports Academy. Then we have Stephanie Egger, she is 33 years old, so only a year older than Jessica Rose Clark. I mean, younger, my apologies. She is from Switzerland, Stephanie Hecker, and she is representing Buddy Jim. As far as the size advantage, that is going to be swayed in Egger's favor. Looking at the professional records now, Jessica Rose Clark has a record of 11 wins, 6 losses, and 1 no contest. Jessie Jess's wins include 3 knockouts, two submissions, but most of Clark's wins have come by way of the judges' scorecards. Six wins of 11 by decision from Jessica Rose Clark. So 11 wins, six decisions. Jessica Rose Clark's stoppages include the three TKOs, or knockouts essentially, uh, and two submissions. Clark's losses, six decision losses. So she's yet to be stopped in her career, she has had her injury troubles, but the only way someone's been able to beat Jesse Jess so far has been by decision. So Jessica Rose Clark is yet to be stopped in her career. As for Stephanie Egger, her record is six wins and two losses. Egger's wins include three knockouts, including in her last win, 
two submissions and one decision. Stephanie Eggert's losses are made up of two decision losses, so neither woman in this fight has been stopped by any other way but decision. So it looks like this may go to decision, but it's going to be, I've said but a lot, my bad. It's going to be a great contest and I'm really excited. The decision thing is a really interesting concept to throw in the mix as well, that the only way either women have lost by decision, two losses by decision for Ega, uh, and six decision losses for Jesse Jess, and six decision wins for Jesse Jess. Uh, but for Ega, she has more submission, I uh, mean, more stoppages, sorry. My apologies. Oh no, they're exactly equal. So three knockouts and two submissions each. Six decisions for Jessica Rose Clark and two decisions, or one decision win for Edgar, two decision losses for Edgar. Muddled up my shit. Let's keep moving, hey? Like this train in the background. Now, the stylistic matchup, it is going to be a very close fought matchup, and I expect this one to go to decision, no surprise. So I'm just opening my phone for the betting market. Now, the value bet, fight to go the distance, probably $1.10. Now, betting market, Jessica Rose Clark, $1.48 favorite. Stephanie Egger, $2.60. So she is a great value underdog, but I do like Jessica Rose Clark in this fight. For Jessica Rose Clark to win by submission, this is where the stoppage theory comes into play, $8.50. For Jessica Rose Clark to win by knockout, $2.35. That could be a really interesting way to go. Uh, and Jessica Rose Clark to win by decision, very likely at $1.65. As for Stephanie Egger, to win by decision, $3.80. If she gets it done, she could get the stoppage. Something could happen. Uh, what's her name? Sorry, not what's her name. Uh, Jessica Rose could get injured or something could happen in the fight. And Egger could capitalize. So by knockout, $15.50. If you want a value bet across this whole card, a knockout win for Stephanie Egger, $15.50. To win by submission, $10.00. But most likely, this is going to decision. So Jessica Rose Clark, $1.65 by decision. Stephanie Egger, $3.80 by decision. As for which way I am going, in this straw, or bantamweight, my apologies, lots of mistakes. It's going to get better. If you've enjoyed this somewhat, it's going to get way better. Uh, but as far as which way I'm going in this bantamweight fight, I'm going to be backing the Aussie in. Uh, just to keep this moving, because up next we've got the featured prelim. Good luck to both women in this fight. I'm going to be supporting the Aussie. I'm going to say this prediction once and once only, so get ready for it and let it sink in. I gave this a similar prediction where I just gave it and went, here you go, do what you want with it, with the main event lightweight title fight, Charles Oliveira. And I just said it, I was like, here's my prediction. Uh, after the preview, but I was like, here's my prediction straight out. Once and once only, and that was a massive success. So I'm going to do it again. Here's my prediction once and once only. Women's bantamweight action. Jessica Rose Clark by decision. Now it is time to move on to our featured prelim. Gabriel Benitez up against a prospect that I rate so highly. David Onama. According to Google, this is the featured prelim. And in my opinion, this fight deserves its slot. It is going to be... Some more featherweight action on this card as Gabriel Benitez faces a prospect that I rate very highly in David Onama. David Onama. That shouldn't have been left in the podcast. That was where the joint came into play and I was just being silly, but 
Nah, I should have edited it out, but I'll just quickly, I'm, I'm moving on. I'll leave that in just because that was very silly. On to our featured prelim now. Let's get into it. Let's get serious. None of this funny business because we are picking up. This is the business end now. This is where things do get serious. The featured prelim. Featherweights, Gabriel Benitez and David Onama. I'm not going to do that thing again. I'm just saying his name for real this time. I'm sorry. The first time I wasn't taking the piss. That was literally... Uh, I'm just high. So yeah, forgive me for that. Moving on. This fight is going to feature two competitors at different stages in their careers as they do battle in a fight with very high stakes. I am predicting a pay-per-view fight for the winner of this Apex Clash. As crowds begin to return, I think we will begin to see exciting fighters returning. Both Gabriel and David fit the billing of an exciting fighter, and a huge fight could be on the horizon for either of these men, should they get the job done this weekend. Benitez has been a regular contributor at UFC level since 2014, making his 12th appearance this weekend, so Gabriel is no stranger to the octagon. He has had a higher level of competition as well, uh, so that as well as the experience could give Gabriel Benitez some advantages over David Onama, who only has one UFC uh, appearance and loss under his belt. But Onama is a genuine prospect, and I have really high hopes for him. On to the profiles now, starting with David Onama. Sorry again, I will never do one of those stupid-ass noises and things again. My apologies. Let's forget it. No rewinds. This train keeps moving forward. No rewind, so we're not rewinding back to that. We are moving forward. David Onama, nicknamed the Silent uh, Assassin, 27 years old. He is from Kansas City, or representing Kansas City at least, and his gym is the Glory MMA and Fitness Gym. I'm going to take a look at some of Gabriel Benitez's accomplishments as well as his profile. Uh, he is from Tijuana, Mexico, and he is representing the American Kickboxing Academy. Now, according to Wikipedia, great source of information, by the way, if, you didn't, if you've never heard of them, uh, Gabriel Benitez, some of his accomplishments. He is a three-time performance of the night winner. He is a one-time fight of the night winner, although he did lose in that fight. He has the third best striking defense in UFC history, so... That leads me to the belief that maybe this one goes to decision. He has the best striking defense amongst UFC active fighters. I think um, anyone with 73%. So 10th highest rate of significant strikes landed as well per minute in featherweight history. Fifth best strike rate differential in featherweight history. Ultimate warrior challenge featherweight champion. Extreme combat featherweight champion. Extreme Fighters Latino Featherweight Champion, Explode Fight Series Featherweight Champion. So a lot of things under the belt for Gabriel Benitez. I think this is going to be a hugely exciting fight. In terms of the size advantage, there is a major advantage for Onama. I think Onama, if he really wants to make a statement, he needs to get the stoppage. I can definitely see, in my opinion, safe bet, David Onama by decision. Uh, but I really like either of them by stoppage. It's going to be a very close contest, which seems to be a theme throughout this card. Now for the last fights, David Onama had an incredibly close decision loss 
against the highly rated prospect and former Cage Warriors dual division champion Mason Jones, who seems like he has an unbelievably huge future, possibly in the lightweight division long term, maybe even the welterweight. So Mason Jones, really, really quality prospect. Onama the same, uh, but it was a short notice fight. Onama lost, uh, but he didn't lose too much credit. I still rate David Onama very highly. I also rate Mason Jones. Now, Gabriel Benitez, his last fight, he was pulverized by Billy Q, Billy Quarantillo. Uh, now, I had Gabriel by knockout. That was one of the more disappointing bets I had of the year. So I, I didn't, I'm not discounting him because of that, but I like Onama a lot more in this fight. But everything in my mind is saying David Onama by decision, but something in my heart, David Onama by knockout. Not because of the bet, but I'm really keen for Onama to kick on. Uh, that's why I don't think this is like a little shit card, as people have been saying, because there's some matches, fights, pretty much all of them have aspects, but this one is one of them where David Onama is one to watch. So that's why I'll be watching. There are some definite fighters to watch this weekend. Now, Onama's record is eight wins and one loss. That one loss, of course, coming to Mason Jones. Uh, now, Onama went eight straight before then, so he was on a roll. He's going to be looking to get back to winning away, uh, winning always. So it's the Onama. I was going to say Onama. But Onama will be looking to get back to his winning ways. I will be looking to learn English uh, at a very basic level. Now, Gabriel Benitez, his record is 22 wins and 9 losses. So a very experienced career for Gabriel Benitez. Looking at the methods of victory now, Gabriel has 8 wins by knockout, 10 submissions. So he's an absolute stoppage specialist. So uh, that leads me hopefully... Hopefully we see a stoppage. I don't want to see either of these guys get badly hurt, but hopefully the fans get a stoppage in this one. Eight knockouts for Gabriel, 10 submission wins. He's also had four decision victories. As for Gabriel Benitez's losses, he's been knocked out three times, he has been submitted twice, and he has lost four times by submission. So it definitely is possible to stop him, but he's fought over 30 fights. He has only been stopped five times. So it's going to be a really tricky match. This is a great stylistic matchup as well. Now, Onama's wins. He has never won by decision. His one loss was by decision. So David Onama has never been stopped. So it does look very likely that this one is going to decision. Now, Onama's wins, five knockouts and three submissions. So Onama has never won by decision. His eight wins were all stoppages. He is primarily a knockout artist but he knows how to get the submission as well. So this is going to be an unbelievable fight. I am penciling this one in as a potential fight of the night. In fact, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and say it. This is a fight of the night candidate. I'm going to put it down right now. This is my prediction. means nothing. I can't even bet on it. I'm going to say Gabriel Benitez and David Onama fight of the night. Hopefully, we'll see how it goes. Now, I'm going to check the betting market quickly, and then I will do my official prediction. This is the featured prelim as well, so a bit of a highlight spot for both of these guys featured in this preliminary. It's the main event of the prelims. Uh, so I will be moving on to the main card next. There are five fights on the main card. It's going to be very exciting. But first, let's look at the betting market. 
David Onama, the close favorite at $1.62, definite value there. But if you want to talk about value, Gabriel Benitez at $2.25, definitely jump on that. There are always underdogs. It's just about picking the right ones. I say this like every podcast. Now for Benitez, $2.25 head to head to win by knockout, $6. It's possible. We haven't seen Onama more than once in UFC, so it's hard to tell exactly where Onama's at on the world scale. Gabriel Benitez to win by decision, highly likely. If you think he's going to win, I think he'll get it done that way. Uh, By the way, I went Gabriel Benitez by knockout in his last outing, as I said, and he didn't get it done for me, so just consider that. Uh, Gabriel Benitez by decision, $4.33, and by submission, which he has won the majority of his fights by submission, $10.00. So there is another gem of a value bet. I may consider getting on, but he's burnt me before. He could very well get the win, but I'm not going to be getting around him by submission. I'm not getting around him on the finish again, uh, just based on what happened last time purely. Now, David Onama by submission, $8.50. Great value on that. I actually really like that as a price tag. David Onama by knockout, $2.50. So yeah, if he gets it done, he's most likely going to knock Benitez out. But I really like the value of David Onama by decision at $5.50. I think in terms of the most likely successful value bet, David Onama by decision could very well be it. But I have to make my prediction now for this featherweight fight. And if you couldn't tell by now, I am going with the prospect, David Onama. He lacks the experience in comparison to his opponent, but I'm getting David Onama uh, I'm getting David Onama time, if that makes any sense, which maybe it doesn't. But David Onama by knockout. I'm not taking the decision. I think he can get it done. He is someone that I rate very highly. I am ready to see him kick off now. It is 2022. It is a big year for David Onama. So Gabriel Benitez, David Onama, my official prediction. I'm taking David Onama by knockout. $2.50 odds for that as well. So hopefully... There is some money to be made. That was the featured prelim, so it is time to move on to the main of this UFC Vegas fight night in the Apex. We are going to have seen some great fights throughout the prelims, but there are some good five, indeed, five great matchups coming up on this main card. The main event was supposed to be Rafael Dos Anjos versus Rafael Fazeev. That never eventuated due to visa complications for Fazeev. So the Battle of the Raphaels is no longer our main event. Our main event is now a great light heavyweight banger where someone is bound to get knocked out between Jamal Hill, hot off the heels of his dominant knockout stoppage over Australian standout Jimmy Crute, and Johnny Walker, who was tentative in his last main event showing against Thiago Santos, losing by decision. And a little note, the first ever, I only started in October, the first ever preview and predictions, not just the sports report podcast that I covered uh, and fight night and just UFC event that I properly covered was Tiago Santos versus Johnny Walker in that main event in the apex. Now I took Johnny Walker by knockout just because I really wasn't sure how Tiago Santos's previous injuries were holding up, but Walker was disappointing. Now we've also got a great main event and Kyle Dorcas. He was someone that was also on that first preview and predictions podcast card. He is returning tonight, uh, or not tonight, sorry, this weekend. Uh, And his last fight was that rogue 
one with Kevin Holland. Where did he beat Kevin Holland twice? Well, it was ruled a no contest. Kyle Dorcas, I'm sorry if I said Chris, I can't even remember what I was saying. Uh, Kyle Dorcas, he is going to be keen to get out and get a unanimous win, hopefully by a stoppage in his case. I think he's going to be up for it against a short notice opponent, Jamie the Nightwolf Pickett. After getting a career defining win in his last outing, he is backing up very shortly. He is jumping into this co main event slot, a huge opportunity for Jamie Pickett, just as big for Kyle Dorcas. He is starting to work his way into the conversation for an eventual challenger in the middleweight division. So it's a really big year for both of these guys. Uh, Dorcas, through no fault of his own, uh, stalled a little bit with momentum. But he still was winning against Kevin Holland. So then you've got Jamie Pickett as well, who already has a win uh, this year. So he is ready to go. Make no mistake, that is going to be a great co-main event. Now, if you haven't been enjoying the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram at not just a sports report. And do not forget that I will be releasing on Monday the UFC Fight Night Thoughts and Comments podcast, where myself and JJ will be going through all the action on this card. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, uh, there will be some follow-up content. Now it is time for the main card, though, of this UFC Fight Night. And what better place to start than our main card opener. And the matchmakers could not have scripted a better opening fight for this main card. It is guaranteed to be a banger, and it is a huge contender for fight of the night or a performance of the night bonus. Maybe both as well, so this could be an absolute banger. In fact, this is going to be an absolute banger. Now, I've heard a lot of people say this isn't the biggest card, but that gives both of these guys a chance to stand out. This is a fight not to be missed. Round one is bound to be especially exciting given both men's records and knockout power. One of these men, all his wins have been 11 first round knockouts. So opening this main card, we have got a highly enthralling contest between middleweights Joaquin Buckley and Abdul Razak Hassan. Both fighters genuinely have a knack for scoring early, early stoppages making this one of the funnest fights on tomorrow's card. Joaquin Buckley is a name you may recognize, best known for his 2020 spinning heel kick knockout of the year over Impe Kasagne. Buckley's sophomore season for the promotion was a little less glistening. Joaquin was knocked out by Italian Alessio DeSherico in January last year before rebounding and finishing Antonio Arroyo in their fight. So Joaquin Buckley, you may have heard the name, you may have seen the spectacular knockout, uh, and he's aiming to keep his name in the spotlight, keep his hype train rolling. So a really big weekend for Joaquin Buckley. Abdul Razak Al Hassan has been training with the Elevation Fight Team, based out of Denver, Colorado. Abdul spent the majority of his career at welterweight, achieving 10 first-round stoppage wins in his first 11 fights. A highly impressive start that had everybody buzzing about Abdul's prospects. Two consecutive weight losses followed that amazing streak, and that significantly halted Al-Hassan's momentum inside the UFC. Abdul moved up to middleweight in April last year, losing by decision to Jacob Malkoon. Al-Hassan's first UFC victory at 185 pounds came just four months removed from his loss to Malkoon, Abdul blitzed Alessio DeSherico in 17 seconds with a huge knockout. 
head kick knockout finish. It was emphatic as hell. 17 seconds was all it took for Abdul to absolutely send Alessio Desherico into the abyss. The same Alessio Desherico that defeated Abdul's opponent tomorrow in Joaquin Buckley. So both of these guys are highly exciting fighters to watch. A win here should catapult them into a really big matchup next up too. So I'm thinking either higher up on a fight night card, which should be in front of fans by the time they next fight, or included on a pay-per-view card. So it's a really big matchup for both of these guys. Middleweight, there definitely is an opening for guys to make a run for the belt. So it's time for both of these guys to stand up and show what they can do. They are both prospects. They are both unranked contenders. So this is a really, really big matchup for both guys to stake their claim for top 15 honors. So it's going to be a big one. This is one of the cards, or one of the fights, sorry, on this card that does really excite me. That is why I'm very keen to tune in from start to finish tomorrow and watch the entire card. I don't mind if people say the card is not for them, not the strongest card, uh, but fights like this are exactly why I'm going to be tuning in. And if you need a stat or a couple of stats to get you really excited for this fight and this card, 10 of Buckley's 13 career victories have been by knockout, whilst all of Abdul's 11 wins have been first round knockouts. So this is, this can't be anything other than a banger. I will be highly surprised. The first five minutes, there are some fights where you're like, yeah, I need to just like a Taitui Vasa fight. You're like, I just need to channel in on the first five minutes because I know this is going to be crazy. And that is what this fight is going to be. Joaquin Buckley, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, both looking to move forward in their careers. This is going to be one of the must-watch fights on this weekend's card. And if you're not excited about this card as a whole, then you should at least be pumped for this middleweight banger. The question is, who walks away with the win? And presumably, someone's getting knocked out. So how is it going to go down? What's going to happen? What is the finish going to be? Uh, we don't know. That's why we got to tune in uh, and really get keen for this fight. Now, profiles. Joaquin Buckley formerly fought for LFA and Bellator. He is only 27 years old, so still has a lot of time to make a run. He is representing St. Louis, Missouri, his hometown. And his gym is the Mercy Lago MMA team. So he's got his team. And if you want to talk about who's in his corner, well, I don't know the guy's name. Honestly, he's a meme. But you may have seen him, the defense coach guy. He's gone viral. He's just a bit of a meme. I don't know. He looks like he actually knows how to defend really well. So he's going to be in Joaquin Buckley's corner. That is a bit of a meme. Uh, if you don't know who I'm talking about, just Google Joaquin Buckley corner. Uh, to tell you about it. But that is a bit of a meme. Uh, it depends how well this guy can defend, apparently very well. So he could be a great asset into the corner of Joaquin Buckley. Uh, but is this a meme? I guess we'll find out this weekend. Now, accomplishments for Buckley. He had a 2020's knockout of the year. He is a three-time UFC performance of the night winner. And Buckley won the 2020 President's Choice performance of the year. Dana White himself said, that was my performance of 2020. So Joaquin Buckley, you couldn't ask for bigger raps. I think he has a bit of security. Dana White obviously likes him. I don't think he's one of the fighters where Dana White may not renew their contract. He really wants Buckley to be a success. So this is a great opportunity for Buckley to really put his best foot forward. 
As for Abdul Razak Al Hassan, he is 36 years old, nicknamed Judo Thunder. He is from Ghana, so he will be representing the very great country of Ghana. He will be very proud about that. And I'm sure his home nation will be backing him in big time in this fight. Abdul will be representing Team Elevation. He has been a part of that gym since 2021. So not the longest association, but judging by that 17 second head kick knockout, uh, they're obviously aiming to get the absolute best out of Judo Thunder, Abdul Razak Al Hassan. As for his accomplishments, or accomplishments, my apologies, Abdul has three performance of the night wins. He has a reach advantage in favor of Buckley. That's not really an accomplishment, but uh, he can turn that into an accomplishment, potentially with a 12th first round finish in his career. Now, both of these fighters sit slightly outside of the top 15, so a statement knockout win could be enough to see the winner earn a ranked opponent up next. Like I've said throughout this podcast, there is still plenty at stake in a lot of the fights throughout this card. Now, having a look at both men's 2021 campaign, I did go into this earlier, so I won't spend too long on this. Joaquin Buckley had a round one knockout loss to start the year to Alessio Desherico, who Abdul owned, like fucking destroyed. No offense to Alessio. Uh, and then last year, a little bit later, Joaquin Buckley got the round three knockout win over Antonio Arroyo. As for Abdul Razak Al Hassan, he had a decision loss to Jacob Malkoon, the Australian, to start his year. My apologies, I'm just going to keep going. Forgive me for that one. Uh, and then Abdul had his 17 second head kick knockout win over Alessio Desherico. That is a pretty damn good performance to have been your most recent outing. They do say you're only as good as your last. Well, then Abdul Razak Al Hassan is definitely one to watch going into this weekend. A win over Buckley would establish Abdul as the most likely contender out of himself, Buckley, and Alessio Desherico, considering they did like a bit of a round-robin matchup. A win for Buckley would even the scores across the board and leave all three men with a win and a loss to one another in some regard, not like, yeah, the full regard. You get what I mean. Uh, now, Buckley would be the main beneficiary of that situation, but all three men are searching for consistency, so Buckley really needs to get the win because that would give him the most recent victory of the series, resulting in a move up the card. Now, time for a professional record comparison. Abdul Razak Al Hassan, 11 wins, 4 losses. Buckley with 13 wins and 4 losses. The methods of comparison... Abdul's losses, he has one knockout loss and three decisions, but the one knockout loss for Abdul was at the hands of my favourite welterweight prospect, Chaos Williams. That was one of my highlight finishes of the year, and although Abdul has only been finished once, it must be noted that it was in dominant fashion and very quick. Buckley is more susceptible to being knocked out, with three knockout losses on his professional record, as well as one decision loss. The three fighters that have knocked Buckley out are Alessio Desherico, Kevin Holland, and Jackie Gosh in Bellator. Buckley would later avenge that knockout loss to Jackie Gosh, getting a knockout win of his own under the LFA banner. Joaquin Buckley's wins, he has 10 of 13 by knockout. That is the key stat, that is why I know this is going to be a banger. 10 of 13 wins by knockout for Buckley, as well as three decisions. For Abdul, as I've mentioned, 
the huge stat, probably the biggest stat going into this fight, 11 first round finishes. That is the key stat in this fight. Abdul Razak Al Hassan, 11 first round finishes. That makes up his 11 wins. Now, Abdul is a great value option on a card full of potential options in terms of the betting. Abdul is probably the value option that I'd back the most. So if you've strongly considered taking a chance, a gamble if you will, then I would be looking into Abdul Razak Al Hassan by first round knockout. As for the stylistic matchup, there will be no submissions here. This fight looks destined to end with a knockout, so brace yourself, strap yourself in. This one is going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to look at the betting market now, and then I'm going to make my official prediction. Sorry for that little racket. Uh, so betting market now, and then official prediction. And then I'll be moving up the card. All right, so there is a lot of value in this fight. Uh, Joaquin Buckley is the favorite at $1.62. Abdul Razak Al Hassan, as I said, a great value option, $2.30. Definitely consider Abdul. Now, for Joaquin, I'm not even going to say both guys to win by submission. Uh, $19.26, respectively. Sorry, I got to turn my phone on silent. Oh my goodness. So, we will continue. Sorry about that one. Uh, this is an unconventional, as I say. This is all about an unconventional, unfiltered as much as it can be, take. So yeah, it's all part of it. My apologies. Now, neither man are really going to win by submission. If they do, credit to them. Joaquin Buckley by decision, $5.50. Abdul by decision, $6.75. This is going to end in a knockout. Uh, Joaquin to win by knockout, $2.25. Abdul Razak Al Hassan, $3.20. That is a ton of value on Abdul Razak Al Hassan there. As for, way, uh, as for my apologies, which way I'm going to go in this main card opener, middleweight action with big implications in terms of future rankings potential, I'm going to take Joaquin Buckley. I'm going to take him by knockout. So my official prediction, I'm going to take him by knockout. And on the betting market, I'm going to take Joaquin Buckley by knockout at $2.25. I'm tipping performance of the night honors for Buckley. Uh, and yeah... Maybe a bonus check heading his way. So that is my prediction. Joaquin Buckley by knockout. Let's move on now to the next fight on this main card. Coming up next on this main card, we have a fight that has been rebooked. It had to be called off for the original date, but the matchmakers obviously want to see this one go down. So I am tipping that we are in for an absolute treat with this one. Going to be lightweight action between the man with the most bouts in UFC history in Jim Miller. 38 fights on his resume in the UFC. This will be his 39th for the promotion. And Jim Miller has previously stated he wants to be on the UFC 300 card. Of course, he was on the UFC 100 card, I believe. He was on the UFC 200 card. So before he retires, he wants to make that UFC 300 card. We're about UFC 271, so 272. So there's a couple of years, but he looks like he could do it. So wouldn't that be a great, probably retirement fight uh, but it would be epic. I think he's on track to get there, but he can't have too many losses along the way. So Jim Miller's opponent tomorrow is going to be the highly rated lightweight prospect and UFC debutant, Nicholas Motta. Now he has said, because of all the delays with his UFC, Nicholas Motta has said that he is broke as fuck. Now, fighter pay is 100% an issue. I'll get to that some other time. I'm trying to minimize the tangents here. Uh, as for the narrative, 
It is the legendary Jim Miller who is moving forth on his mission to fight everyone in the lightweight division before his storied career is done with. Miller loves to welcome a prospect to the UFC and humble them, and he has another opportunity here against the self-proclaimed broke man fighting for his life, the UFC debutante Nicholas Motta. Motta will be keen to finally begin his UFC journey after multiple fight cancellations in 2021. Is it going to be the old experienced veteran getting the big win and record-breaking win, or the quite literally hungry prospect? Time for the profiles now. We have Jim Miller, 38 years old, from New Jersey, and he is from the Miller Brothers Gym MMA. Obviously, he has something to uh, do with that. Um, so yeah, it's probably him and his brother, right? Now, Miller's accomplishments. Get ready for a big list. Seven times fight of the night winner. Seven times fight of the night in UFC. That is nuts. Three times performance of the night winner. Three times submission of the night. Fight of the year in 2012 when Miller faced Joe Lawson. The most bouts in UFC history. He will be continuing to break that with 39 this weekend. Jim Miller is tied with Damian Meyer for most UFC wins at 22. So Jim Miller is going to be looking to break the record for the most UFC wins in history this weekend. That is huge. This, that, like, how can you not get excited about this card? There are some really big, high stakes things at stake. The most wins in UFC history. Like, come on, as if you're not excited about this card. Other of Miller's records, he has the second most stoppage wins in UFC lightweight history with 13, and Miller has the most submissions in lightweight history with 9. He's also a former United States Kickboxing Association welterweight champion. Miller is a former Cage Fury lightweight champion, and he is a former reality fighting lightweight champion. As for Nicholas Motor, he is nicknamed Iron Motor. He is 29 years of age from Brazil, uh, and he is representing Extreme Couture. Last fight, Jim Miller. He earned his first knockout victory since UFC 200 back in 2016. Jim Miller took on UFC debutant, the ghost pepper Eric Gonzalez, knocking Eric out at the beginning of the second. As for Nicholas Motor's last fight, he earned a UFC contract in very controversial decision win over Joseph Lowry. That win for Mota took place at the end of 2020. Now, Nicholas didn't get a single fight in 2021. A lot of them were cancelled. Uh, and they've had, even had another se uh, series or season of Dana White's Contender Series since then, since he earned his contract on the 2020 season. And a lot of the 2021 class have already debuted. So Mota has had to wait a long time. He is on a three-fight win streak. As for Jim Miller, he has lost three of his last fights, but... He did win his most recent bout, and by knockout. Now, Sherdog is where I get the majority of this information from for my podcasts in terms of professional records and things like that. So thank you so much to Sherdog.com. Shout out to them. I would recommend checking them out uh, if you're interested in this kind of stuff. Now, professional records. Jim Miller's stands at 33 wins, 16 losses, and one no contest. Comparatively, Nicholas Motta has a record of 12 wins, 3 losses, so very different stages in their careers. As for the methods, Motta has 67% of his wins by knockout, 
with eight knockouts and four decisions on his resume. Nicholas's losses include two knockouts and one submission. Now, Jim Miller loves to chase a finish, so Nicholas has never lost by decision. If he loses here, it could very well be by submission, in my opinion. As for the stylistic matchup, Jim Miller has openly stated that he is going to be going after the finish in this fight. He is looking to set the record for most wins in UFC history. Wouldn't that be a great moment? Now, speaking of Jim Miller's wins, 18 of Miller's 33 wins have been by submission. I think that is the best bet here. If you're going to back Miller in, go by decision. I think he can very, very, he's very likely to get it done. In my opinion, 18 of 33 career wins by submission for Jim Miller. Very dangerous on the mat. So his overall wins, Miller has five knockouts, 18 submissions, and 10 decision victories. As for Jim's losses, Miller has only been finished five times in 50 professional outings. Miller's losses include two knockouts, three submissions, and Miller has lost 11 times by decision. So I'm going to take a look at the betting market now, and then I'm going to make my official prediction for this huge, potentially history-making lightweight fight. Alright, Jim Miller is the underdog, going for the history-making most wins in UFC history. Uh, but he's the underdog, $2.45. The debutant, Nicholas Motta, at $1.53. Uh, I don't know, this could be a lot closer than the market suggests. Jim Miller to win by submission. If he gets it done, that is most likely how I think he does it. $4.33. So that is a really, really juicy price tag. $4.33 for Jim Miller to win by decision. $6.50, an equally juicy price tag. To win by knockout, which he did last time, uh, Jim Miller, $11. For Nicholas Motta, to win by submission, $18. He never has. To win by decision, $3.30. I really like those odds. And to win by knockout, his preferred method of victory, Nicholas Motta is $2.88. As for which way I'm going to go, my official prediction for this main card lightweight match, I am going to be taking Nicholas Motta, by decision, I think this one is going to go the distance. I'm not super confident. I think both will be going for the finish, but I think it will be very closely matched across the 15 minutes. And my official prediction, I am taking Nicholas Motta by decision. So that is it for that one. Uh, in my opinion, Nicholas Motta is going to get it done. Miller's record-breaking win will have to wait for another occasion. So on the betting market, I'll also be jumping on Nicholas Motta by decision at $3.33. I really like that price tag, so that's my prediction for that one. Nicholas Motta over Jim Miller by decision. So let's move on now, and up next, we have two heavyweights colliding as the American Parker Porter goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with Cyril Gunn's teammate in France's Alan Badeau. Parker Porter has a really rogue stat as well. He fought John Jones in 2008, very early in both men's career, uh, and Parker lost by knockout. So that was Parker Porter's third fight in his career, outside of the UFC, obviously. Uh, and Parker also dropped his UFC debut to heavyweight prospect Chris Dorcas. But Porter has since responded with back-to-back -back decision victories over Josh Parisian and Chase Sherman. Porter has won four of his last fights, with his durability and toughness on full display each time. As for Alan Badeau, 
The Frenchman is yet to experience his first UFC win. Allen was destroyed by Tom Aspinall in his short notice debut, followed by a loss to Rodrigo Nascimento, which was later ruled a no contest after Nascimento failed his post-fight drug screening. The question is, will Parker Porter continue to surge forward in the heavyweight division, or will Alan Badeau obtain the sweet taste of his first UFC victory? On to the profiles now. Firstly with Alan Badeau, he is from Lyon, France. He is 34 years old, nicknamed the Black Samurai. He is also representing the MMA factory gym, which has produced Cyril Garn. Yep, and Francis Ngannou. I believe, but definitely Cyril Garn, he's a teammate. They are in the same division, so definitely a great guy to have around in the gym. Now, Parker Porter, he is 36 years old, not 33, sorry. He's a little bit older, 36 years old. And Parker is representing Connecticut, United States and Thornton's MMA gym. Accomplishments for Parker Porter, he is a former reality fighting heavyweight champion. As for the size advantage, there is a really big size advantage for the Frenchman Alan Badeau, so that could be a really telling tale, uh, and we could see Alan Badeau getting a big knockout finish that could be very unexpected. I don't think a lot of people expect it, so a sizable height and reach discrepancy between the pair of them. Now, a spot in the top 15 is absolutely obtainable for Parker Porter should he win this fight. A victory for Porter will all but secure him a ranked opponent next. If he can get it done, then he is on his way to doing some big things. He's a little bit older still, pretty close to his prime, so he really needs to get his run going now. The heavyweight division in terms of depth, there's definitely a position for Parker Porter to make a run for the rankings. And if he can do well enough, then a run for the belt. Uh, But that will be very challenging. Now, the theme of this fight night is that fighters, a lot of them are in that in-between area of unranked and ranked. So it is a huge night for the trajectory of a lot of careers. Now, in terms of these guys' last fights, Alan Badeau's last fight was the loss slash no contest uh, to Rodrigo Nascimento. And that leaves Alan Badeau with an official record in the UFC of zero wins and two losses. For Parker Porter, His last win was a decision victory over Chase the Vanilla Gorilla Sherman. Chase is okay, but in my opinion, he doesn't have a future in the rankings. That doesn't discredit Parker's quality performance in that outing. He still looked really good, and he got the decision win and definitely looked the better of the two. Parker is now on a two-fight winning streak, four wins in his last five attempts, so if he can go three straight here, then that is a really great chance for Parker Porter to really push for a spot in the rankings. The stylistic matchup? Well, Porter has been winning by decision, but heavyweights don't often win by decision, so I'm intrigued as to whether this fight goes the distance, and Alan Badeau has the massive size advantage, so he could definitely get the knockout. He could be a real surprise underdog pick in this fight. I know he is the underdog, but his record may not tell the full story, we may see a new and improved Alan Badeau. He has been training with Cyril Garn, so do not count out Alan Badeau in this fight. Professional records, Parker Porter has 11 wins and 6 losses. Now Porter's wins include 5 knockouts, 3 submissions and 3 decisions, so Parker Porter knows how to get it done in a variety of ways. The majority of his wins coming by knockout, uh, with 5 
and then he's had three subs and three decisions, as I said. Now, Parker's losses, he's been knocked out three times, submitted twice, and Parker also has one disqualification loss. For Alan Badeau, his record is eight wins, two losses, and one no contest. Badeau's wins include seven knockouts and one other, so that is 88% of wins by knockout for Alan Badeau, seven knockout wins from eight victories, and definitely consider him I am. I am very much considering the underdog bet of Alan Badeau by knockout. He has been knocked out twice though, his two losses in his career by knockout. Now, I'm going to have a look at the betting market. Parker Porter, the heavy favorite at $1.32. Alan Badeau, great value, $3.25. Now, the main way of betting, if this goes to decision and Alan Badeau gets it, $12 odds. That is massive. Uh, now, Badeau by knockout, $5. That is a great value bet. There are so many on this card. Here's another one. Alan Badeau by knockout, $5. You can make some serious money if he gets it done. Now, Parker Porter, $1.32 head-to-head favorite to win by decision, which is what he's been doing in his last two wins. $3.80, $3.80. So, very good price tag there for him to get it done. I like that price tag to win by submission, which he definitely can. $6.50, another really healthy price tag. This card, I love this card. This has been a great card. Uh, and Parker Porter to win by knockout, $2.50. That's the way I'm going to be going. I'm going to be checking some money at $2.50, knockout, Parker Porter. So that is my official prediction. This heavyweight fight leading right towards our two main events of the evening. I am taking Parker Porter over Francis Allen Badeau, and I am taking Parker Porter by knockout. And then I think after that, it's time to see Parker Porter up against a ranked opponent. Let's really give him a chance to see what he can do. Now, Alan Badeau is a very dangerous opponent. I am a bit nervous about this one, but I think it's going to be a banger, and I think Parker Porter is going to come out on top with the knockout. So maybe... An opponent I'd like to see Parker Porter up against next, currently ranked 14th in the division, Walt Harris. I'd like to see that matchup, but speaking of matchups, I'd like to see it is time to move on to our co-main event of this fight night card. Only two fights to go. I know it's been around two hours, so it's time to get these two fights out. Uh, And then it's time shortly tomorrow to sit down and watch the event. And then after that, I will be releasing my thoughts and comments podcast. So a lot of UFC content at the moment. Let's move on now to our co-main event. All right, let's keep it moving. Got a couple of fights to go. Our two big ones for tomorrow. It is now time to launch into our midweek co-main event between Kyle Dorcas and Jamie Pickett. Now, Jamie Pickett steams into this fight on short notice, fresh off his second UFC victory in January. The Nightwolf is surging at the moment, and a win this weekend would mark three straight, only placing Pickett's name in the conversation for a spot inside the middleweight top 15. It took Pickett three appearances to earn a UFC contract on Dana White's Contender Series, and then Pickett also required three attempts to gain his first UFC victory, finally getting the job done last October with a unanimous decision victory over the now-released Loriano Staropoli. Jamie scooped up his second consecutive win on the first card of 2022, outworking the debutant in Joseph Holmes 
and proving that Jamie's hard work is paying off. Pickett has taken this fight on very short notice, which tells me that he is in the shape of his life and has full confidence in his abilities when it comes to defeating Kyle Dorcas. As for Dorcas, the American is going to be on a quest to have a much better 2022 after a very deflating campaign last year. Dorcas suffered through multiple fight cancellations and came away from his two appearances without a win. Dorcas first dropped a decision win in May to Phil Hawes last year. Then, on the first ever Preview and Predictions podcast card that I did, Kevin Holland, Kyle Dorcas. I had Kevin Holland by knockout. Now, if you don't remember or didn't see it, there was a head clash, followed by Dorcas successfully submitting Holland, and that was eventually ruled a no contest. So that result deprived the Philadelphia native of his first UFC stoppage victory, and both competitors uh, in that fight would have been like, damn, it was a really tough and strange one. It was a really anticlimactic way uh, for the co-main event to end and then to head into the main event. But he's got another co-main event opportunity and slot here. And you better believe Kyle Dorcas is not going to waste this chance. Both fighters are oozing with potential. And this is a really big matchup. The fight shapes as a perfect chance for one of these men to make a run into the rankings. Jamie Pickett has momentum on his side as well as confidence comparatively to Dorcas who will be confident but his recent career has been riddled with uncertainty. There have been fight cancellations, there was the loss to Phil Hawes, the no contest with Holland and this weekend he's had the late notice opponent change so plenty of uncertainty and a lot of lows amongst the highs for Kyle Dorcas so he's going to be keen to get back to the highs this weekend. It is going to be the greatest test of both men's career to date. Will Kyle Dorcas start his year on a high note or will the Nightwolf continue to make 2022 his year and put in his name forward for a ranked opponent next? On to the profiles now. Jamie Pickett, the Nightwolf, he is 33 years old from North Carolina. He is a former Next Level Fight Club middleweight champion as well. So Jamie Pickett has held championship gold he knows what it's all about, but he wants to hold championship gold in the biggest MMA organization in the world, inside the UFC. This will be a great step forward to doing so for Jamie Pickett if the former Next Level Fight Club middleweight champion can get the job done this weekend and go 2-0 in 2022 in the first two months. That is an awesome way to start your year. Now, for Kyle Dorcas, he is 28 years old, turning 29 next week, so what a birthday gift it would be for him if he can get himself back into the rankings. Now he is from Philadelphia and Kyle is representing Martinez BJJ. Dorcas is a former Cage Fury middleweight champion, so we have two guys who know what it's like to be a champion and they wanna do it at the highest level. There's gonna be a height advantage for Dorcas, but the reach and power advantage will swing in favor of Pickett. Both men's last fights, Dorcas had the no contest against Kevin Holland, and Jamie Pickett in January had that decision win over Joseph Holmes. As for the streaks, it is a two-fight win streak for Pickett. As I said, he is rolling into this fight as, uh, yeah, momentum's just on his side, where it's completely different for Dorcas. He's had one win in the UFC. He hasn't had a stoppage win. He's lost twice, and he's had one no contest. So it's been worse than a mixed bag. It's been quite an average bag. If it was like a bag of like surprise mystery candy 
Uh, it would probably be a lot of shits, maybe one nice little candy, but covered in dog shit. And that is no slight to Kyle Dorcas. I really rate him. He's been really unlucky. Uh, I really think he has a future in this division. I think he can definitely push to be a ranked fighter. I think that is the kind of level he is at. So this is no slight on Dorcas. This is more just the journey he's had to go on uh, and the things that he's had to experience. Like the no contest thing was out of his control. Uh, the fight cancellations were out of his control, really. So a lot of these things, it's no slight on him. But yeah, it hasn't been a great going for him as of late. Now, overall professional record, Kyle Dorcas has 10 wins, 2 losses, and 1 no contest. Dorcas, both of his losses were by decision, so he's yet to be stopped in his career. And as for Kyle's wins, he has 8 submission wins and 2 decisions. So Dorcas is a submission specialist, an absolute wizard. Look for him to take this fight to the mat, try and gas out Jamie Pickett, and then finish him off with the submission win to really get his year started off in style. So 8 of 10 wins by submission for Kyle Dorcas. Now, for the Nightwolf, Jamie Pickett, his record stands at 13 wins and 6 losses entering this weekend. The Nightwolf's losses include 1 knockout, Jamie has been twice submitted, and he's had 3 decision downfalls. As for Pickett's career wins, 8 of 13 wins by knockout for Jamie, so 8 wins by submission for Dorcas, 8 by knockout for Pickett. This is going to be a great stylistic matchup. Pickett's methods stand at 8 knockout wins, 1 submission win, and 4 decision victories. Must be noted that Pickett's last two victories on this win streak were both by unanimous decision. As for the stylistic matchup, it is a crossroads in the middleweight division. We have raw power and athleticism up against a very well-versed submission magician looking to turn things around for himself inside the octagon this weekend. Looking at the betting market, Kyle Torkis is the very uh, very heavy favourite. This card should be called UFC Value. Heaps of value on Jamie Pickett again. He looks really good heading into this weekend. $3.10. Consider that one. As always, consider every underdog on this card. Honestly, it seems like it's going to be one of those cards. Now, Jamie Pickett to win by knockout. So head-to-head $3.10. Pickett by knockout, which is his preferred way to win. $7. Well, that is value if ever I have seen some. Pickett to win by decision, which he has in his last two outings, $5. Man, fuck. This is unbelievable. So much value on display this weekend. So yeah, hopefully there's some money to be made, but it's all about picking things correctly, isn't it? That's what this podcast is all about. So Pickett to win by submission, $13. As for Dorcas, He's most likely to win by a submission if he gets his first UFC stoppage. To win by submission, Dorcas is $4. For Dorcas to win by decision, $2.50. So submission, $4. Decision, $2.50. And to win by the unlikely knockout, $7.50. As for the which way I'm going to go, as for the which way, what am I fucking talking about? Uh, As for the way I'm going to go in this co-main event, UFC Fight Night, coming up tomorrow, Sunday, during the day, Australian time, uh, I'm taking Kyle Dorcas, middleweight action, co-main event, Kyle Dorcas, I think he's going to move into the rankings with a great decision win, so my official prediction for the podcast, I'm taking Kyle Dorcas over the Nightwolf, Jamie Pickett, by decision. Now, in terms of the betting, I will be getting... 
Kyle Dorcas by decision at $2.50 odds, so I do like those odds. Uh, but it's time to get my speed up and move through to the main event. Let's get this podcast done because then the card is tomorrow and there's going to be a whole nother podcast, UFC thoughts and comments. So let's move on now. It is time. UFC fight night, our main event, Jamal Hill up against Johnny Walker. Spot in the light heavyweight top 10 is up for grabs in this substitute main event as the number 10 ranked Johnny Walker looks to bounce back against the number 12 ranked light heavyweight Jamal Hill, a fighter who has been on a tear as of late. Now that we have Vieri Prohaska moving up to challenger status, there has been a door opened for contenders to really put their names forward, and there have been a lot of them. I'm not going to take the time and go into all the guys because there are a lot of them in the light heavyweight division who are starting to really put their name forward. Now, this is a great time for both of these guys sitting at 10th and 12th in the division's rankings, respectively, to make a push not just into the top 10 or further into the top 10 in Walker's case, but to really start getting your wins together. And the aim for 2022 should be get a couple of wins and work your way toward the top five. That is the best way to position yourself for a title shot. So there is plenty at stake in this light heavyweight main event. A top five opportunity and a potential title shot down the track is very possible for both their fighters at their best. The challenge is going to be consistently bringing their best up against the the best in the world because that is what you have to do when you are a top 10 fighter. Now, this was originally positioned as the co-main event until the battle of the Raphael's main event was cancelled between Dos Andros and Fazeev. Now, these light heavyweights step into the spotlight and their fight has been extended from 15 to 25 minutes. That increases the likelihood of a knockout in this contest tenfold. So definitely get excited about a banger of a main event slugfest. And there is going to be plenty of extra attention for their clash now that it has moved into the main event position. Johnny Walker has been in a slump since earning three first round finishes and three performance of the night bonuses to start his UFC career and style. Johnny enters Vegas this weekend with merely one win in his last four fights. Johnny did have an emphatic comeback victory over Ryan Spann in 2020, but things have been largely lackluster for the Brazilian as of late. Johnny was uncharacteristically tentative in his last showing against Thiago Santos. Now that fight was also a five-round main event on a fight night, and Thiago Santos got the decision win. Not a lot of noteworthy highlights throughout that fight. Now, that was my first ever preview and predictions podcast card that I did. So it's a nice little throwback that we've got Kyle Dorcas on the card again. uh, And we've got Johnny Walker in the main event. Now, in that last fight, Walker and Thiago Santos, I had Walker by knockout. Just because I thought that it was going to be a knockout-centric affair. But that was not the case. It was a largely tame main event contest. And that leads me to believe, is that going to be the case this weekend? Are we going to see a five-round decision contest with not a lot of highlights? No, not in my opinion. And why? Jamal Hill. He was not involved in that last main event. Jamal Hill is one of the top emerging superstars in the promotion. Now, he of course suffered the first loss in his career last year at UFC 263, and Hill did not walk away unscathed from that fight, picking up a dislocated elbow following his TKO loss to the Scotsman, Coming up on a fight night on the London card, Paul Craig 
which subsequently ended Hill's undefeated 9-0 record. However, Hill could not have responded to his first loss in more impressive fashion. Jamal battled fellow light heavyweight standout Jimmy Crute, destroying him in just 48 seconds. On the impact scale, that knockout was 10 out of 10 for mine. Now, Walker and Hill meet this weekend, genuine ranking implications intertwined into their main event showing. Will the more established and once highly promising Walker get his career back on track with a win, or is Hill going to make his move into the division's top 10? I do not want to hear from anyone who is saying this is a shit card. This is a card that has a lot of potential, and it has a huge bearing on so many future matchups and what a lot of the fight nights are going to look like going forward. An early finish is what a lot of people are expecting here, but I'm less confident. The knockout method makes the most sense, but we do see a lot of fight night main events go to decision. It happens all the time, especially in the apex, so always consider the decision. Uh, I am thinking deeply about it because the last fight that Walker was in was destined to go to knockout, and it didn't, but... Jamal Hill is the factor that I think is going to change that either way, regardless of who wins. Either way, this is going to be one hell of a main event. Now I'm going to dedicate a bit of time to both fighters individually as we draw closer to my final prediction and this card actually taking place. So I'll start with Johnny Walker. He is 29 years old. Walker is from Brazil, but he is fighting out of Dublin, Ireland, uh, representing the SBG gym in Ireland. His accomplishments include three times UFC performance of the night winner. Johnny Walker is also a former European beatdown light heavyweight champion. And Johnny has also held the ultimate challenge light heavyweight championship. So he too knows what it's like to hold gold, just like the guys in the fight before this one. Uh, But he wants to do it at the highest level. So this is a really big fight. I don't know if it's the biggest fight of Johnny Walker's career because he has been in some big ones, but like a loss here, like there is a lot at stake. This could be the most important of Johnny Walker's career. In terms of the size advantage, Johnny is going to have the advantage in both height and reach, making him a much more complex and difficult matchup for Hill than the smaller Jimmy Crute proved. Uh, And not to mention that Crute had been dealing with lingering injuries. So it looks like Johnny Walker's fresh and it looks like Hill is fresh, so it's going to be a really interesting battle, uh, and I think they're going to test each other a lot. Now, of course, Johnny is ranked number 10 in the division, pushing to try and get himself toward that top five, which I think once you're in the top five, you're in title shot territory, Uh, and if Walker can win here, then he sets himself up for a really big name opponent next, which would be very good for him after kind of his recent form not delivering what he would expect of himself. Now, his last fight, of course, was the decision loss to Thiago Santos. Very poor showing, in my opinion. And Johnny Walker will not want to drop his second straight fight and surrender his position inside the division's top 10. Johnny Walker's professional record stands at 18 wins and 6 losses. Now, the key stat for Johnny Walker, 15 of 18 wins by knockout. So, Walker is a knockout specialist make no doubt about it. He will be looking to improve on his last showing where he really didn't uh, impose himself and his game plan, or if he did impose his game plan, then it wasn't to knock Santos out and that game plan failed. So he needs to go back to what he knows this weekend. 15 of 18 wins for Walker by knockout. 
that is the way he needs to win this fight. If he wants to move up toward the top five and try to get a title shot maybe sometime next year. Now, Walker's overall wins stand at 15 knockouts, two submissions, and one decision from his 18 victories. Walker's losses include three knockouts. Johnny has been submitted once, and he also has two decision losses. As for Jamal Hill, he is 30 years old, nicknamed very appropriately Sweet Dreams because he shuts people's lights out. Uh, Jamal is from Chicago, and Hill is representing the Black Lion Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Gym. Hill's accomplishments include one-time performance of the night for his knockout over Jimmy Crute, and he is a former knockout promotions light heavyweight champion. Now, the rankings. He is number 12, so Jamal Hill is looking to break into the top 10. He's definitely one to watch at 205. Everyone has known this for a while now, so if he breaks into the top 10, then all of a sudden, watch out, because Jamal Hill, his trajectory has been going upward, so a win would really position him nicely. Uh, Johnny Walker more needs to regain momentum. He does have a bit of a profile, so that will do wonders for Walker if he can get the win. But Jamal Hill has been surging forward, so a win here is really going to start putting him in the conversation uh, of guys who are maybe not getting a title shot this year, but future and very, very quality title challenges. Now, the last fight, of course, Jamal Hill, 48-second knockout over Jimmy Crute, who was a very high-level opponent. That leaves Jamal Hill with a record of nine wins, one loss, and one no contest. Now, the no contest was originally a win that was overturned because Jamal Hill tested... Jamal Hill, sorry, I can't even speak English. Uh, Jamal Hill tested positive for marijuana, which is fucking ridiculous. Uh, he should have 10 wins and one loss, but whatever. Stupid-ass rule, not my fucking rule. Jamal Hill's wins, he has five by knockout, four by decision, and one loss, which was a TKO loss to Paul Craig. So overall, Hill likes to get it done by knockout, but he has been to decision four times, so he may lean on that throughout this fight uh, and try and kind of outplay Johnny Walker over the full 25 minutes. Is it going to be a knockout or is it going to be a decision? I don't know. I don't think it's going to be a submission, put it that way. Uh, but I'm about to make my official prediction. I'm about to wrap up this podcast, so thank you for listening. Uh, the betting market. Jamal Hill, heavy favorite, $1.38. Value once again on Johnny Walker, $3, great price tag there. For Walker to win by decision, I definitely think this is likely. I think this is a great, again, I've been loving the value. Johnny Walker, $11 to win by decision, could definitely happen. Uh, Johnny Walker to win by knockout, $4.25, that could happen as well, good price tag. Jamal Hill to win by knockout, $1.70, so it's very clear which way the betting agencies think this way is going to go. Well, this one's going to go, sorry, and which way the punters think this is going to go. Jamal Hill by knockout, $1.70, very short price. But there's been enough value on this card, I can handle that price. Jamal to win by decision, which he has four times in his career, $6. So that's the betting market. Uh, I'm going to take Jamal Hill by knockout at $1.70, very short price tag. But I had to do it because that is my official prediction for this main event. I'm going to be backing in Jamal Hill to continue to move forward and get himself into the division's top 10. My official prediction, UFC Fight Night, this main event that has been now placed in a much better position, moving from the co-main event 
right up to the main event. I am going to take Jamal Hill by knockout over Johnny Walker. So that's my official main event prediction. I'll say it once more. Jamal Hill by knockout over Johnny Walker. So that is it. It has been a long podcast and there is plenty more insight to come on my UFC thoughts and comments podcast. So I'll leave a lot of the other extra extra information for that and kind of live reactions. And then we'll actually see what does take place. I've told you what I think is going to take place. Now let's actually sit down and see what does take place. So thanks for listening. Again, if you want to support the podcast, follow us on Instagram at Not Just a Sports Report, and please follow us on whatever podcast platform you are listening on. So that is it, Not Just a Sports Report, UFC Fight Night preview and predictions, Johnny Walker versus Jamal Hill, taking Hill by knockout. So that's really all I have to say now. So enjoy the fights tomorrow and take care of yourselves.